sit back and relax. It is time to listen to the old-time radio daytime shows. We hope you enjoy the program. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It. Father Who Had Nothing to Say, another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice, dangerous my stock and trade. If you perch behind the eight ball and can't see the clear, call on me, George Valentine. Write full details. Dear Mr. Valentine, for ten years now, since I was 14, I've lived with a secret. The fact that I'm the son of a murderer convicted for life. Now I'm going to take a step I know may threaten everything that means happiness to me. Still in all conscience, I must take it. And I can't think of anyone who can help me, except perhaps you. Suppose we talk this over as quickly as possible. As quickly as possible, so I can supply what you so blithely call full details. <laughs> Fine, Ralph Lochner. Uh, Brooksy? Yes, George? Without knowing any more about the young man and what he says in his letter, I think I'd like to knock myself out trying to help him. But aside from the startling fact that his father is a convicted murderer, he didn't say very much. Yeah, but the way he said it, Angel, take a step that threatens his happiness, and he must take it in all conscience. <laughs> That's a nice phrase, in all conscience. Well, if things have worked out for him in the last ten years, well, why doesn't he leave well enough alone? Well, that's what we're going to find out, Brooksy. Oh, I suppose that means we're on our way. Uh-huh. Could we do anything else? I mean, in all conscience? Mr. Valentine, some cynical people would say the best thing in the world happened to me when my father was convicted of killing that woman. Well, that's a sweet way of looking at it. Well, what did happen to me? I lived with my father in a basement room of an apartment hotel. He was a handyman there. Not very much to look forward to. Well, men have started much lower in life than that. But then my father suddenly becomes a front-page sensation. The murder of Lillian Wayne. And I get put in an orphanage. That's that, you'd say. But it wasn't. Go on. Well, then all sorts of wonderful things happened to Harry Peterson's kid. That's me. Mr. and Mrs. Lochner adopt me. I get sent to the finest schools. My name's legally changed so that the secret is dead and buried. But uh, you still can't forget your real father, can you? No, I... No, I can't, Miss Brooks. I can only think of him as a pathetic little man who did all he could for me. Not as a murderer. But you were only 14 then, Ralph. You naturally wouldn't want to think anything like that of your father. But the court. I know. Guilty. With a recommendation for mercy. Well, he got a fair trial, didn't he? Yes, and I can appreciate how fair. You see, my foster father, Carl Lochner, let me choose whatever profession I wanted. The next month, I'm going to be admitted to the bar. Yeah? Well, I've gone all through the records of my father's trial, the testimony of the witnesses. Yes, he, he got a very fair trial. Well, what's on your mind? What's this step you've got to take, the one you mentioned in your letter? Well, knowing something about the law, I've decided that damning as the evidence was against my father, most of it was circumstantial. And he never did admit he killed that girl. But, well, if this is just a feeling you have and the case is ten years uh, old... Look, Ralph, you ought to know it's going to take something a lot more concrete than that to get past the receptionist at the DA. Yes, but at least I'll feel I've done all I can. Oh, son, is this Mr. Valentine, the gentleman you told me about? Oh, yes, Father, and this is Miss Brooks. Oh, how do you how do? You do? Dad, I, I told Valentine everything, and I hope you still don't feel that... No, Ralph, I thought it over. I think you're right. Well, frankly, Mr. Lochner, I don't know what good I can do. And digging around in the past always involves a risk. 
I mean publicity. Yes. And my secret may not remain a secret. Father and I have been all through that. You can understand my anxiety, Mr. Valentine. Ralph's starting out in a career that holds a great deal of promise. He's engaged to Irene Masterson, a lovely girl from a fine family. If she has to find out that I'm the son of a murder, then, well, that's the way it'll have to be. You just do what you think is necessary, Mr. Valentine. Mr. Valentine, the warden told me you're going to try to prove I'm innocent. I want you to do nothing. Get out. Now, wait a minute, Peterson. I don't want you to reopen the case. You will not find anything different. Aren't you changing your tune after ten years? Not once did you admit you killed Lillian Wayne. Just the same. You stay out of this. And do not come back to see me again. Wait, take it easy, Peterson. We still got a few minutes. You heard what I said? Yeah. I may as well tell you, no matter how you feel about it, I'm going to find out the truth. Why do you do this when I tell you no? Your son wants it that way, Mr. Peterson. Ralph? Yeah. Look at me, Valentine. You see, a very happy man. I don't believe it. Prison has been good to me. Here I learned to read and write. I'm in charge of the books in the library. Your life's complete, huh? Ten years ago, I fixed it so my son gets everything I could never give to him. Now in the newspapers, I read he's marrying big society girl. He is happy. I am happy. Well, you poke your nose in. Don't you like to see people happy? Oh, Peterson, let's stop kidding each other. You'd rather throw away a chance to get out of this place than to have people find out that Ralph Peterson and Ralph Lochner are one and the same. You, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Have it your way, Peterson. But if you didn't kill Lillian Wayne, it's my job to find out who did. And believe me, I'm going to give it a good try. <laughs> Twelve good men and true decided that beyond any reasonable doubt, Harry Peterson murdered Lillian Wayne. I know, Lieutenant, but George called up and asked me to come over and see if you have any additional information. Well, just what I gave you there. Copy what you want. Okay. It's all a matter of public record. Uh, say, just a second, Miss Brooks. Hold it. Hmm? Is there something Valentine knows about this case that I don't know? Huh? I mean, uh, just being a member of the police force. Oh, I couldn't tell you. The last time I heard from him, he was calling from the penitentiary what? after he saw Mr. Peterson. What? You mean he went all the way up there to... to... Oh, another one of his hunches, huh? Say, what's the name of this witness here, Lieutenant? You can read, Miss Brooks. But I tell you, there can't be anything to it. Five witnesses put Harry Peterson on the scene of the crime. His fingerprints were all over the table lamp that was used to knock her off. And, uh... What about motive, Lieutenant Riley? Well, to pull it uh, delicately, Miss Brooks, <clears throat> this little shrimp gets a yen for Lillian Wayne, who's, by the way, of being a gorgeous model. She can't see him, he can't take no for an answer, and... Zowie. Very delicately put, Lieutenant. Why? Well, if it's as open as shut as all that, George will just come up with the answer you've got here. Well, of course, of course, there's only one answer. He's just wasting his... Uh... Hmm... Oh, never mind. I'm just whistling in the dark. Yeah? Mr. Donnelly? Shh, not so loud. Huh? What's the matter? Look, miss, did you ever have a baby? Oh, wrong question, huh? Well, anyway, come on in. But try to be quiet. Hey, what's this all about? Oh, it's the kid. The wife's out shopping. You should have seen the time I had getting that baby to sleep. 
Say, who are you anyway? And how'd you know who I was? Look, where can we talk above a whisper? Oh, uh, well, well, come on in here. Okay, now what do you want? I'm just checking on exactly what happened to Lillian Wayne the day she was murdered. Who? who? Lillian Wayne. Yeah, yeah, I heard you. But why are you bringing that up? Look, who are you, mister? Just someone who's not so sure Harry Peterson killed Miss Wayne. Oh, I don't know anything about that. I told the police my story. Sure, I had a fight with Lillian, but that was all. And they let it go at that? They had to. Well, I went down the elevator an hour before the chambermaid saw Peterson go into the apartment. Uh, what was the fight about? Uh, just me waking up to find out what a sucker I was. Hey, translate that, will you? Well, I was a pretty sharp middleweight those days. Dame's a dime a dozen. But Lillian says she's only got eyes for me. And like a school kid, I believed her. Oh, then you found out about the little black book. Yeah, yeah but that I didn't know till later. Peterson's trial. All I knew then was that some guy was sending flowers to her every day from the florist shop around the corner. So we had a fight, and I... Well, I guess I lost my temper. How badly did you lose it? Well, I, uh... I guess I poked a one. Oh. Uh huh. Well, if it weren't for Peterson, then you would have been tagged for suspect number one. Don't remind me, pal. And for Pete's sake, don't let this get back to my wife. She don't know anything about me and Lillian. Oh, don't worry, Donnelly. I have to be good at keeping secrets. Oh, thanks. You don't know my wife's temper. If she ever found out, she'd knock my ears off. <laughs> Now, Mr. Valentine, just who sent you to see me? I, I'm very busy. I have an elaborate floral wreath to make up. No one sent me, Mr. Jeffries. Your name just happens to be on the list of witnesses in the Lillian Wayne case. Oh? And Mike Donnelly mentioned that you own this floral shop near Lillian's apartment hotel. Mike Donnelly? Mm -hmm. that, that thug. I, I was hoping by now he had his head knocked off in the ring. Oh, oh my, my, such unruly passions, Mr. Jeffries. Yes, what have you got against Mike? That man actually assaulted me in the corridor during the trial. Just because I told the truth. Which is? It was Donnelly who bought the flowers I was delivering to Miss Wayne that day. I keep a record of every transaction in my store. A very methodical man. That's very interesting. I don't know why I should have gotten so excited. The police cleared him of any connection with the murder. Yeah, yeah, that was hard gratitude, was it, Mr. Jeffries? Well, uh, what do you mean? Well, it was mostly your testimony that placed Harry Peterson in the dead woman's apartment at the time of the murder. There was no question about that. It was Peterson who came to the door and accepted the flowers. But it seems stupid, doesn't it, to answer the door when you have a corpse on your hands? Oh, not at all. Peterson worked there. He knew that I'd have the manager let me in so I could place the flowers in the water. And something equally stupid, I mean, allowing himself to be seen. Oh, he tried not to show himself, but... He had to sign a receipt. That's when I got a glimpse of him. Oh, it was Peterson, all right. Receipt? Uh, why, why, yes. That's right. You didn't mention a receipt in any of your court testimony. I assure you, I had all I could do to answer the barrage of questions they kept throwing at me. I see. You, uh, you said you were a methodical man, Mr. Jeffries. I guess you kept that little memento of the Wayne trial. Well, I... I, I probably have it in the envelope with the clippings of the trial... Somewhere in that desk drawer there. Uh-huh. Naturally, Peterson didn't sign his own name. He thought he was being smart, scribbling down a phony one. Larrabee, as I remember. I see. Well, that's it, I guess. Uh, thanks for your cooperation, Mr. Jeffries. <laughs> Don't mention it. Now maybe I can finish that floral wreath. Oh. 
All right, George, let's have it. Why'd you give up so easily? I mean, about the receipt. Just being cautious, Angel. But you said yourself it would be so conclusive, one way or the other. Just comparing the handwriting with Peterson. Yeah, I know, Brooksy. But as I said, let's take it easy-like. Jeffries is lying through his teeth, but I can't afford to scare him off until I find out why. You mean he actually framed poor Peterson? I'm sure of it. You see, Angel, Peterson couldn't possibly have signed that receipt. Huh? He didn't learn to read or write until after he was sent to prison. Turn to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meantime, here's some exciting, valuable news for today's car owners. Atlas Tire Engineers have produced a new tire that gives the softest ride you've ever had, even when you're on the roughest roads. It's the Atlas Grip Safe Cushion Air, kind of big brother to the famous Atlas Grip Safe Tire. Cushion Air is a big brother because it has the same quality, extra safety, quietness, and steering ease of Atlas Grip Safe Tires. Plus, more air at lower pressure to put your car on a cushion of air. And it's backed by the most valuable warranty in the tire industry, the written Atlas warranty that's good at 38,000 stations in 48 states and Canada seven days a week. Ask about extra low-pressure Atlas cushion air tires tomorrow. They're made especially for new cars and can be adapted to many older models, too. Ask at an independent Chevron gas station or a standard station where they say and mean... We'll take better care of your car. And now, back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. Well, a very intense young man named Ralph Lochner says he wants you to make sure, one way or the other, if his father is guilty of the murder he was convicted of ten years ago. Finally, if you play it like George Valentine, you arrive at the unshakable conviction that the father is innocent. And in effect, that's just what you're telling Ralph and his foster father, Carl Lochner, right now. It's as simple as that, gentlemen. Well, I what do you mean? Understand. I know Mr. Peterson didn't kill Lillian Wayne. I might even be able to prove it. But it would be a lot easier and a lot surer if first I found out who the murderer really was. Why didn't that fool Jeffrey say something about a receipt? Of course my father could never have signed it. I remember as a kid how ashamed I was because he couldn't read or write. I know how you feel, Ralph. It was a terrible Oversight? Oversight? Ten years of someone's life gone just like that because some stupid florist forgets to mention a receipt? Well, Jeffries might have forgotten that little thing, but he was deliberately lying when he identified the man at the door as your father. Well, let's do something about it. Turn him over to the police. Now, hold it, will you, fella? They'd shake the truth out of him. I'd like to be the lawyer for the prosecution. I'd see what that he What if he got... said he made an honest mistake? After all, there were other witnesses. What do you propose to do, Valentine? Well, I'd like to know why Jeffries put the finger on Mr. Peterson. Hope he was trying to protect do you think uh, he's at all suspicious? Oh, he's bound to be a little, but I tried to ease out of it. I'd feel a lot better if we had that receipt. Oh, it's safe enough. It's in the middle drawer of the desk in the back of his florist shop. Mm-hmm. I agree with your thinking, Valentine, but just the same, you're up against a pretty impossible job. The name Larrabee is patently fictitious, and this is a murder that's ten years old. Where do you start? With the obvious, Mr. Lochner. And I can't think of anyone more obvious than our ex-pugilist friend, Mike Donnelly. Ask you, Miss Brooks. Did you ever see a kid like that? Always balling. Your wife out shopping again, Mr. Donnelly? Yeah. Thursday night, she's got a bingo game. Oh, excuse me a minute. Huh? Okay. Yeah, that's better. Now we can go on talking. 
Well, you don't mind giving us your signature so we can compare it with the one on Mr. Jeffrey's receipt. Oh, why should I mind? Fine. Here. Here you are. Oh, thanks. Hey, uh, just what did that guy tell you about me anyway? Well, he said you ordered the flowers for Miss Wayne the day she was murdered. Oh, he did, huh? Go on, what else? And, uh, that you and he had a little fight in the courthouse during the trial. A little fight? I nearly killed him. And I'll tell you why. Because of my interest, you, Miss Brooks. Yes. Of course, it makes me look like a dope, but here it is just the same. I knew he was getting flowers and presents from somebody. So I used to stall around downstairs to see who it was. I see. All I saw was Jeffrey's delivering flowers. The owner of the flower shop himself, mind you, not one of the boys. Then it dawned on me. It's also beginning to dawn on me. Yeah. He was making time with Lillian, too. She admitted it. That's why we had to fight the afternoon she was killed. So there was room in Lillian's big, generous heart for our Mr. Jeffries as well. Yeah. Hmm. Among others. You know, Mr. Donnelly, I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't given me a lot more than your signature. Didn't I tell you not to come back? Look, Mr. Peterson, the man who killed Miss Wayne signed a receipt for some flowers. And you didn't learn how to write till you came here. That's true. Well, don't you see there's enough doubt now to get you another hearing? It's bound to come out that Ralph Lochner is your son. So how about working with me instead of against me? If I could only believe after all these years I, I could be together with my son again. Used to know he don't have to be ashamed of me. I'd do anything, Mr. Valentine, anything. Good. Now tell me, Mr. Peterson, just what did happen that day? I... It's true what all those people said, the chambermaid, the elevator boy, the others. I was in Miss Wayne's apartment to fix the Venetian blinds. She called downstairs in the morning. Go on. I rang the bell. When she didn't answer, I used the pass key. And there she was on the floor, dead. Didn't know what to do. I picked up the lamp, put it back on the table, and just stood there looking at her. And that's how your fingerprints got on the lamp. Now, tell me, did Jeffries, the florist, make a delivery while you were there? No, nobody. When I made myself understand what happened to the lady, I ran downstairs to my room. He was sitting there when the police came. Poor Ralph, he was such a young boy then. He didn't understand what it meant when they took me away. You got a fine son, Peterson. Who'll tell me? If they let me go, could I be with my Ralph again? Oh, your son will be a lawyer soon. He'll think of something. I leave everything to you, Mr. Valentine. I have just one more stop to make when I get back to town, Mr. Peterson. And I'll feel a whole lot better when that's out of the way. Come on, quick, Brooksy. Close that door. We don't want the cop on the beat to spot the light back here. Oh, we'll just tell him we're a couple of flower lovers. Think of Donnelly's story about Jeffrey's being on Lillian Wayne's bandwagon, too. More about that, Angel. Right now, I want to get a picture of that receipt. If I can get Riley working on it without Jeffrey's getting suspicious. George, look. The desk. Hey, uh, a very clumsy job. Oh. I would have jimmied open the drawer with much more finesse. It's only a formality, but let's see. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just about everything else on the Wayne trial, but no receipt. Oh, I outsmarted myself, Brooksy, and missed the boat. Well, one sure thing, George. Jeffries wouldn't break into his own desk. Why not? If he wanted to make it appear that someone else stole that all-important piece of paper. Hmm. If it meant so much to somebody, he probably destroyed it by now. Yeah, he... Hey. You know, Angel, maybe I didn't miss the boat after all. Maybe what? it just looked that way. It wasn't going out, it was coming in. 
Funny, things don't look any rosier to me, darling. Well, uh, that's because it's late. You're tired. You need some sleep. Oh, now, George, wait a minute. Now, uh, be careful when you get to the end of the alley. Be sure nobody sees you. Then grab a cab, and I'll be in touch with you later. But what about you? I'll be going back to the office in a few minutes. I'm sure I'm going to have a visitor. Now, scram. Hello, operator. I want you to call the police and report a burglary. Jeffrey's Florist Shop, 937 Grant Boulevard. Who, me? Oh, just put down a public-spirited citizen. Huh? Well, if it isn't nature, boy, I was just about to give you up. You were in my shop tonight, weren't you? Why don't you give up, Jeffries? You don't stand the chance of a deep freeze salesman in Siberia. You've just been lucky for ten years. Where's that receipt, Valentine? What makes you so sure I've got it? You're the only one who knew where it was. Let's have it. Uh Uh-uh. That's my lease on life. You think I'm joking, don't you? On the contrary. But I know you won't let that thirty-eight in your hand go off until you find out what happened to that Don't be too sure about that. I haven't any time to waste on you. You're a many-sided character, my friend. It was a real shock when I found out that you were another one of the boys in Lillian Wayne's male harem. You're a liar. Liar? Now you're writing slander to perjury. Get up. Now put your hands up. If you have that receipt on you, I'm going to find it. Doesn't it ever make you sick to your stomach having to live with yourself? Shut up. Didn't you ever think of Peterson in the prison laundry of the jute mill while you were flouncing around up to your hips and flowers? It's got to be here somewhere. You're trapped, Get back. Jeffries. You're trapped. Peterson couldn't sign anything. He didn't know how to read or write. What? What was that? What did you say? I knew I'd get a rise out of you. I'll, I'll kill you. Better drop it, Jeffries, if you want to I use this arm again. All right. Oh. What are you going to do? I was just wondering how to make you stay put while I make a couple of phone calls. You can't. Uh-huh. I think Harry Peterson would like it done this way. No. Yeah? Oh, your timing is perfect, Angel. The visitor? Oh, he's here, but he's out. <laughs> Never mind. Sure, come on over. Join the party. Sure, this calls for a party, Brooksy. Less than five minutes ago, I found out who really killed the fair Lillian. Valentine, I know it's probably just an oversight... But I've never been advised the Homicide Bureau has been moved over here to your office. Well, I thought we could clean this thing up faster over here, Lieutenant. I never killed that woman. And I'm not saying another word until you let me talk to my lawyer. You're going to need two lawyers, Jeffries. I hate to interrupt this delightful discussion, but uh, Mike Donnelly's in the outer office, fussing and fuming. George, it seems when you called him, you woke up his baby. Sorry, but he has the answers to a lot of questions that'll have to be asked. <laughs> what right do you have to keep me here? What's the charge? There isn't any. That's why you won't let me get to my lawyer. Oh, so I have no charge to hold you on, huh? Well, uh, forgetting about suspicion of murder, there's a little matter of perjury. Then there's illegal entry, forcing your way into a respectable citizen's place of business. Thank you, Lieutenant. Assault and battery on the same defenseless citizen. No charge, huh? Who are you? Hennessy! Take this monkey downtown. Yes, sir. You won't get a thing out of me, no matter what you do. And watch him, Hennessy. Now, 
Valentine, there's still a few questions I have to ask you. Oh, just a minute, Lieutenant. I think someone just came in the outer office. It's probably the Lockness, Brooksy. Valentine, what'd you find out? I just saw them take Jeffries away. Oh, wait, he got here as soon as we could. Just what has happened? This is Lieutenant Riley, gentlemen. Oh, how did he do? Hello. Oh, we're just getting to that, Mr. Lockman. Hey, what about me, Valentine? Okay, Donnelly, come on in. Uh, the wife's at a midnight movie. I had to get a neighbor to stay with the kid. Please, you know, Valentine, I... what'd you find out about Jeffries? The name of the murderer. Uh, what? Huh? Jeffries didn't have the receipt. And I didn't take it from his shop. Well, how does that tell you who the murderer was? Oh, the simple process of elimination, Lieutenant. I don't follow you, George. I told only two people where that receipt was. You, Ralph, and you, Mr. Lochner. I'm afraid I don't understand. Yes, what are you driving at, Valentine? Paying blackmail to Jeffries all these years, even adopting Harry Peterson's son, can't change one fact, can it, Mr. Lochner? You kill Lillian Wayne. Hey, hey, come on, Brooksy, come on. Get your head up off the lieutenant's oh. desk. Uh, <laughs> oh, I wasn't sleeping. Oh, no, no. You were just trying to see if you could look through your eyelids. Well, come on, kids. I'm going to have me a gallon of coffee. It's been a long night. Did you get a statement from Lochner and Jeffrey? Yeah, yeah, it's all sewed up. Victim of circumstance. You keep reading that corny phrase, but you only appreciate it when you run up against the Harry Peters. Oh, come now, Lieutenant. It wasn't just the hand of fate. It got a couple of assists. Yeah, yeah. Jeffries delivers some flowers to his girlfriend. The rat hangs around downstairs to see who his rival is. It turns out to be the wealthy Mr. Lochner. So, Jeffries helps put Peterson away and then blackmails Lochner plenty for keeping quiet. You know, I was wondering, Lieutenant... Hmm? What's that? Did it really ease Lochner's conscience adopting Peterson's kid? Ah, the longer I'm in this game, the less I know about people. I was wondering about something, too. Robert? Mm -hmm. I was wondering if poor Donnelly had much trouble getting his baby to sleep. Oh, Oh, you're punch drunk, Angel. Let's get that coffee. Some folks claim that one motor oil is just like another until a mechanic tells them they need a new set of piston rings. But folks who use RPM motor oil find piston ring troubles are few and far between. This premium quality motor oil is compounded to keep a cooling lubricant on upper cylinder walls at all times. Whether your car is standing cold for hours at a time or running hot, RPM clings to vertical engine parts left bare and exposed to wear by ordinary oils. And because RPM is always on the job, your chances of engine trouble caused by rust are reduced to about zero. That's mighty important when you remember that hidden rust causes as much as 80% of engine wear in the average car. No wonder RPM motor oil is the choice of Western motorists two to one over any other motor oil. For trouble-free operation and longer car life, get RPM tomorrow at Independence Chevron gas stations and standard stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... Oh, uh, Brooksy. Oh, George, I've been worried.
worried about you. Where are you? Well, I, uh... Careful what you say, buddy. Yeah, see what you mean. Oh, uh, Brooksy, I just want to tell you not to worry if I'm away for a couple of days in this job. Huh? Uh, I know I can leave everything to you. George, something's wrong. I'm going to call Lieutenant Riley. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's enough, Valentine. Hang up that phone. If you know what's good for you. Yeah, I know, all right. Uh, good night, Brooksy. I'll be seeing you. I hope. Adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and Standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson as Claire. Wally Mayer appears as Lieutenant Riley. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little Jr. and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Harry Lewis as Ralph, Herbert Butterfield as Lochner, Louis Van Ruten as Peterson, Eddie Marr as Donnelly, and Robert Jellison as Jeffries. The music is composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter, your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. Penny's clothes, my daughter preens. My son likes Penny's shirts and jeans. I whip up things ethereal from their divine material. Of stores, I think there is not any we love so well as J.C. Penny. The following program is transcribed. For a wash that's deep clean. Sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Oxidol's own Ma Perkins. Ladies, you hear a lot of talk today about new developments in wash day products, but the news that's overshadowing all this talk, news that makes a real difference in your wash, is the news about deep-cleaning Oxidol. Deep-cleaning Oxidol washes out the gray dirt left in clothes by the leading wash day suds, the leading shortcut suds. Now, this fact was proved to women in an amazing washing demonstration. And one of the women present at this demonstration was Mrs. Paul Zurich of Elmwood, Ohio. And here's what Mrs. Zurich saw. In this washing demonstration, they used my clean clothes. At least I thought they were clean because I had just washed them with the leading suds the way you're told to. Then they washed these clothes over again, this time with deep-cleaning Oxidol. You should have seen the dirty wash water come out of those clothes I thought were clean. That dirty wash water showed me Oxidol really can get out the gray dirt Left in clothes by those leading shortcut suds. Thanks, Mrs. Zurich. 
And ladies, here's something we'd like you to do at home. Next wash day, use deep-cleaning Oxidol and see for yourself how much dirt Oxidol can get out of your clothes. Then, for the most interesting news of all, look at the clothes themselves. When you use deep-cleaning Oxidol, your clothes look white and bright. Your clothes feel soft and fluffy. Clothes smell sweet, too. Yes, your clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean, because they are clean with deep-cleaning Oxidol. Yet, deep-cleaning Oxidol is truly safe. Deep clean clothes stay brighter, new looking longer. So don't wash clothes with suds that leave dirt in. Get clothes deep clean, sparkling clean with deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Ask your dealer for Oxidol today. Cousin Sylvester, afraid that he might have offended Faye the other night, is going to propose to her, try to sweep Faye off her feet. And Faye herself? Well, we know that Faye's all mixed up about Sylvester. On the one hand, he's been very nice to her, lovely to her daughter, little Paulette. But on the other hand, he might have lied to her and to Ma about that money of Willie's and Abby's. Well... Sylvester's just dressing for his date with Faye about 7 o'clock at night. His father, Cousin Ed, comes to the bathroom door and, well, listen. Uh, me, son Sylvester. <clears throat> Let me in. I'm dressing, Foxy. I'll be right out. I know you're dressing. I said I want to come in. Ah, you're getting a little impossible lately. You know what, Popsy? You're ordering me around like I'm some punk. Until such a time as I'm positive you ain't a punk, I'll just keep on doing like I'm doing. <clears throat> now, now, we'll just close this door so the old lady won't hear what we got to say, and we'll settle down to business. Oh, for heaven's sake, I'm, I'm late now. It's, it's the most important date in my life. From you, I don't need any criticism, any any advice, any, any nothing. All I'm telling you is this, son Sylvester. In this here world, it's performance which pays the groceries. It ain't promises or fancy talk which pays the groceries. <clears throat> Ever since you come to this town, you've been full of promises and you've been full of fancy talk. But tonight is when you got to produce. I said tonight is my big night. So will you kindly get out of my way and let me finish dressing? No, son Sylvester. <clears throat> First, we're going to talk about how you're going to act tonight. <clears throat> it's the night you're asking little cousin Faye to be your blushing bride. And so you've got to act accordingly. And so that's why we're going to go over every single action in advance, beginning now. Popsy, you can be a very irritating guy when you want to be. You want me to put you on the other side of that door without unlocking it? I said I ain't taking no chances. We're going to get this straight and beginning right now. First of all, when you get to little Faye's house, there's probably going to be Cousin Maul there. You act respectful to Cousin Maul, real respectful. If she's wiping the dishes, you tell her to sit down and you'll wipe the dishes. If she's sewing buttons, you tell her she sews buttons real good. Catch my drift, young fella? Um, very respectful to Cousin Ma. Okay. Because when you pop the question to little Cousin Faye, and she goes flying back to her mommy, Oh, mommy, the man wants to marry me. What should I do? That's when you being respectful to Cousin Ma pays off. Real respectful young fellow, says Cousin Ma. I like him. 
Cousin Sylvester's a real fine boy. He wipes the dishes. So respectful to Cousin Ma. You said that. Any other pearls of wisdom? Or can I put on my pants? Next comes Miss Fay herself. No loud-in-the-mouth, big-shot talk when you're popping the question to little Cousin Fay. Like I hear you on the telephone when you call him up the other females, which heaven alone knows where you find him. Hello, you lucky girl. You must have said your prayers tonight because this is Sylvester calling you up. None of that stuff with Cousin Faye. <laughs> Why, Popsy, that's, uh, that's quite a line you have. Never you mind the wisecracks, fat boy. You pay attention. We wouldn't be jumping the gun like this, getting you married up with Cousin Faye so fast, if your no-good, low character hadn't gone and practically ruined everything when you and Faye was at the country club. So, so don't act so smart. There's still a real good chance Cousin Faye will laugh right in your face when you pop the question. Huh? And if she does, I'm going to wait until you're asleep in your bed, and then I'm going to smother you with your own pillow, just to teach you a lesson. Well, she... She gave me a date tonight, didn't she? You know, maybe... Maybe I didn't antagonize her at the country club. Maybe she just... Just pretended to be antagonized. A girl like her, Potsy, she don't fall right into your arms the minute you raise your little finger. Oh, no. She gave me the state tonight as soon as I asked her, didn't she? I'll pass out the gold medal and the orchids and the roses when you tell me how you popped the question and how she fell into your arms then. So do you understand me? No big shot stuff with Cousin Faye tonight. You talk small. You talk sweet. You tell her how your whole life's changed since you met her. You tell her how you know you ain't no good. How you know you're the world's worst bum. But if she'll only say yes, why, then you won't go home and cut your throat like you deserve. Hey, you... Now you do it like I tell you. Talk small for yourself. Talk big about her. Tell her how your whole life ain't worth a plug dime if she slams the door on you. Tell her how much you love her little girl. Tell her how much you love her more. Tell her how all you want is to make her happy because she's so wonderful. And if it comes back to me that you didn't talk like that, the one who slams the door is me. Because I got enough on you to get you 14 years in every jail between here and Alcatraz. You have not. You haven't got one darn thing on me. Ah, uh, 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 me who took their life savings away from poor old cousin Willie and poor old cousin Evie for some phony mining stock, which probably the only thing they got in that mine is gopher holes. That weren't me, son Sylvester, that were you. But you got yours, and that puts you uh, in. Ah, uh, uh, nobody knows that except you, son Sylvester. And who's going to believe a no good who swipes dough from his own cousin? <clears throat> so you be a good boy, son Sylvester, and you do like I say. Respectful to Ma, respectful to Faye. That's the way to get him on your side and get engaged and take Faye's money away from her. And now our scene changes. We know that Faye has had increasing doubts about Sylvester. And that Faye has decided to find out whether Willie and Evie really did give Sylvester their life savings, in spite of Sylvester's denial to her and Ma. And we know that something else is troubling Faye. Her loyalty to Ma. Her understanding of Ma's deep loyalty to the cousin. And so, it's a troubled Faye who joins Ma in the kitchen now. And pretty as Faye is, We've never seen her look prettier. She seems to have dressed with very special care. And though her eyes are troubled, she... Well, 
aren't you through in here yet? Ma, here. I'll take that towel. Oh, Land, I'll be through in just one more. Why, say, child, let me look at you. With all that color you've been getting at the beach, that little suit is so becoming. Yeah. You look like you was made out of glass. Is there any glass with a sunburned nose? Come on, give me the towel, No, Ma. no, you just sit right down there and don't come nowhere near this thing. Now, see, you look like you're made of sugar. You're one of them little angels that they put round under the tree at Christmas. <laughs> you going to the country club again tonight, dear? No, I... Oh, I don't know. No, will you tell me something, please? Mm -hmm. What, dear? Benita, she's Pa's cousin. I mean, uh, Benita's maiden name was Perkins. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, Benita was Pa's third cousin. She lost her own folks when she was still just a young girl. Of course, that was before I ever met your Pa. And it was Pa's folks who brought her up. She's more like a sister than a cousin, maybe, to Pa Perkins. Uh, and, and Cousin Edma was... Pa also so fond of Cousin Ed? Well, I, I believe your Pa didn't know Ed very well. We was all just young people in our 20s then. Pa never had no feelings about Ed, one way or the other, which I can remember. No feelings like he had about Benita. Oh, Pa loved Benita. Do you think Benita's changed, Ma, in all these years since she's been married to Ed? Well, Benita ain't had no easy life, eh? Man, she was such a happy girl. Yeah, life ain't been too good to her. That's why I've been trying to go so far out of my way to be nice to her and hers. I, I think Pa would have wanted it. In a way, I'm kind of glad that Pa never knew about Benita's hard life. Poor woman. There's some special reason that you're interested in old family history, say, child? You're a very nice woman, Ma. Maybe if I live to be a hundred, I'll get to be as nice as you. Oh, but, sure. Ma, have people ever swindled you? In your whole life, has anybody ever played tricks on you just for money? Land negotiation swindled? Why, uh, well, they're... Uh, Oh, Nan, there's always some folks thinking about other folks' money instead of earning it. Uh, what do you mean, Faye? I feel so nervous. I feel we're on the verge of a great big blow-up. Oh, well, that must be Sylvester. Uh, nothing, Ma. I'll see you when I get home. I, I feel so nervous. Ladies, there's just one reason why you wash clothes. You want them clean. And that's why today's news about deep-cleaning Oxidol is so important to you. Deep-cleaning Oxidol washes out the grimy dirt in clothes, gets your clothes sparkling clean. When you wash clothes with Oxidol, you can see they're sparkling white and bright. You can feel your clothes are soft and fluffy. You can smell their sweet, too. Yes, clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean, because they are clean with deep-cleaning Oxidol. So for a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, get deep cleaning Oxidol at your dealers now. 
in the same familiar Oxidol package. And so Faye still casts about, not knowing whether to believe good or bad of Cousin Sylvester. And what will Faye say when Sylvester does pop the question? Which is what we hear tomorrow. But now this is Charlie Warren inviting you to listen again tomorrow, same time, same station, to Oxidol's own Ma Perkins transcribed. Presented by the Procter & Gamble Company. For a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. cigarette that gives you something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. And by Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our master of ceremonies. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dean Martin. Thank all the nice folks who have written to us telling us they enjoyed our first show. We hope we can continue to please all of you. And once again, I'd like to apologize for my partner, Jerry. He should be here now, but he got into a little trouble. I asked him to mail a package for me. Well, when he got to the post office, he saw a sign that read, Wanted for Murder. So he applied for the job. <laughs> well, they'll probably let him go as soon as they realize what a mental giant he is. So until he gets here, I'd like to sing a tune that's really in the top ten. With the aid of Dick and his come to the stable orchestra, here's Meandering. One day I went meandering to find myself a wife, a pretty miss to share my kiss and love me all my life. The lonely bachelor's life I led began to get me down. I bought a ring and everything and went right into town. I went meandering. Meandering, looking far 
far from the old folks at home. I came across a pretty girl who said she loved me so, that she would bring her mother with us everywhere we'd go. I was so happy on the day she said she'd be my wife, but when she told me that her ma would live with us for life, I went to me Looking far and wide for a girl to be my bride. I went meandering, meandering, far from the old folks at home. I finally found myself a wife, a gal who's sweet and true. When I'm tempted to do something that I shouldn't do. Then I remember days when things were not like they are now. I recall when I was just a bachelor and how I went to meandering, oh meandering, looking far and wide for a girl to be my bride. I went meandering, meandering, far from the Time, I'd like to present Meandering, Meandering. Hey, I thought I told you never to come out screaming like that. What do you want from me? This is what the sponsor wants. The sponsor wants that screaming? Sure, the sponsor wants me to sing loud and talk loud and yell loud like this. Screaming, ladies and gentlemen, how are you all? And right away, all the people have to run out and buy Anison. <laughs> now that you've said a good word for Anison, I think you better even up the score with something about Chesterfield. Oh, that's an easy one. Do you know why I love Chesterfield cigarettes? Well, no, Mr. Bones. Why do you love Chesterfield cigarettes? A, B, C. A, always milder. B, better tasting. C, cash. <laughs> Gentlemen, I must apologize for my partner. Now he's apologizing to me. Mother was right. She said this could only end in grief. I've thrown away the best years of my life. Oh, come, <laughs> Jerry. No. <laughs> Don't cry. We're still partners. You know I love you. I hate myself for needing you so much. <laughs> oh, don't feel that way, Jerry. Why, deep inside, you're like a brother to me. I admire you. I respect you. I love you. Shall we pick out the furniture? <laughs> I just got a letter from a lady in Brooklyn. She's the president of uh, the Dean Martin fan club there, and I was thinking maybe we ought to have her on the show. Gee, Dean, that sounds swell. Why don't we put her on the show now? Jerry, she isn't here. Gosh, I could be a lady from Brooklyn. All right. Folks, I'd like you to meet our first guest. She's president of the Dean Martin fan club of Brooklyn. Here she is, Zelda Click. (laughs) How are you, Mrs. Click? Uh, that's Click. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's quite a right, and to tell you the truth... Well, to 
tell you the truth, Mr. Martin. When I heard I was coming here, I got so excited. I guess it's because I'm finally meeting you in the flesh, Mr. Martin. I must tell you that when you sing, we girls go positively insane. <laughs> I swear, last night we were playing your records and Sadie Schultz nearly dashed her brains out on the phonogram. You, uh, you have many of my records? Well, we got a bargain. 400 of your records for 66 cents. <laughs> Well, how come so cheap? They forgot to put the hole in the middle. Oh. <laughs> forgot to put the hole in the middle. <laughs> oh, I'm a sick girl. <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. Uh... You forgot my name already. You're Zelda Gleck. No, you're Zelda Gleck. <laughs> Tell me, do you ever have mass meetings where uh, all the fan clubs get together? Of why, only yesterday afternoon, we had a meeting with Kirk Douglas Club and the Tony Curtis Club. That's all? Well, the Milton Brill Club was supposed to be there, but she was sick. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, what do you do at these meetings? Well, that's why I'm here now, Mr. Martin. At the last meeting, we passed a revolution. That Zelda Clack is the committee of one to go see Dean Martin and get an autographed picture for the clubhouse wall. You know, by a strange coincidence, I... Have one right here. W would you like it autographed? Well, if you don't mind, some of the girls don't care much for that picture. What's wrong with it? You won't think we're being too sentimental? No. <laughs> well. <laughs> we like one where you still have your old nose. It used to be over here. I just don't understand it. You must be crazy or something. Seriously, are you crazy or something? I'm not crazy. You got me mixed up with my partner. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Talking about that sweet child. Disgusting the way you pick on that poor boy. Why he positively adores you. You can just look into the kid's eyes and see the admirations from his pupils. <laughs> and you, all the time, you pick on him like that. All right, that. Zelda. Just He's so sweet. The way he makes right. that little face and says, Hi-ho, that's wealthy. <laughs> you treat him like right. he was dirt, I'm, I'm but sorry. the devil will get his due. Believe you will and you me, you'll me never forget one thing, that on your way up, the people will down are coming that are on the ladder. <laughs> and a rolling stone gathers. I... No more... Keep those things in mind, Mr. Martin. Because you, you certainly have no basis for anyone to know any superficial feelings on the part of anyone who isn't will physically you just inclined. Listen what me. is it? <laughs> oh, get out of here. Oh, no, you get out. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's time to sound off for Chesterfield. Sound off. Sound off for Chesterfield. From Maine to California, smokers are changing every day. All over America, there's a swing to Chesterfield with this great new thing. Mildness plus no aftertaste. Mildness plus no aftertaste. No unpleasant aftertaste in Chesterfield. That's right. Science discovered what you can prove. You better get into the smoking groove. For Chesterfield now sets the pace with no unpleasant aftertaste. 
Chesterfield, 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 milder, 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 Chesterfield. That's right. The best cigarette for you. That's right. The best cigarette for you. That's right. So here's what we want you to do. Right now. Yes, here's what we want you to do. Right now. Sound off. For Chesterfield. Sound off. For Chesterfield. Try a pack of Chesterfields. Do it. Today. You know, I like a dime for every time I used a line to lighten the sentence when I was late for dinner, but whoever thought that here tonight I'd be singing, I ran all the way home. I ran all the way home Just to tell you that I'm sorry I really didn't mean to be so mean to you. I ran all the way home just to hold you in my arms, dear. I always want you near to me because I love you. The moment I close the door behind me And I heard you cry I knew I acted blindly That I couldn't say goodbye I ran all the way home Just to beg you to forgive me I want your love to be my own, just mine alone. The moment I close the door behind me, and I heard you cry, I knew I acted blindly. That I couldn't say goodbye I ran all the way home Just to beg you to forgive me I want your love to be my own Just mine Last week, a certain music publisher pushed me into a corner and said he had a great song for me to sing. Only I needed a girl to sing it with me. Well, the guy was right. The song was good, and here to lend a helping vocal cord is the wonderful Carol Richards. Nothing else will do That's the dance my darling used to do 
We sang love's affair Just like a vaudeville team Dance a whole night through We had the cutest routine Strolling love's lane Where'd my bonnet to scream We'd harmonize and doodly-doodly-doo song, Carol. I'll see you later in the show. In the meantime, let's both listen to Jimmy Wallington. Thanks, Dean. If you would like to know a quick, easy way to ease the pain of a headache, neuritis, or neuralgia, then by all means, try Anison. Your own dentist or physician may at one time or another have handed you an envelope containing Anison tablets. Then you already know how incredibly fast and effectively Anison brings relief. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one but a combination of medically proven active ingredients. For your own sake, try Anison. Anison is sold to you on this guarantee. If the first few tablets do not give you all the relief you want as fast as you want it, you may return the unused portion and your money will be refunded. You can get Anison tablets at any drug counter. Anison comes in handy boxes of 12 and 30 tablets and economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100. comes the time in the evening's festivities when we bring on our guest. And tonight, Jerry and I are happy to play host to one of the screen's most famous bad men. In pictures, we call them heavies. Well, here's a heavy with a real light heart. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. George Rapp. It's good to have you here. Hello, Dean, and it's good to be here. Hey, Dean, what do you say? We... Who's he? <laughs> Why, Jerry, this is George Raff. How do you like that? Last week we had a streetcar named Max, and now we got a Raff named George. <laughs> oh, I wish I was dead. Look, Skinny, I don't like people making cracks about me. Yeah, well, what are you going to do about I'll it? I'll have the boys take you. <laughs> I'll have the boys take you for a ride and see that you're dumped in the river, see? 
You're a deadbeat. A stoolie. A fink. Uh, Dean, he likes me. <laughs> uh, sure he does, Jer. He was just acting like those parts he plays in pictures. Oh, he's one of them picture fellers. <laughs> hey, George, come here. Is that Margaret O'Brien a midget? Oh, Jerry. <laughs> Say, I've, I've seen you boys in pictures, too. Matter of fact, just the other night I saw That's My Boy. You know, Jerry, I wish I could have played the part of your father. You play my father? Yeah. <laughs> well, seriously, Jerry, I bet George would have done a great job in that picture. Yeah, that's right. Of course, they would have to change the story a little, but... I can just see it now. And now, Anison and Chesterfield Cigarettes present Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, and George Raft in the George Raft version of... That's my boy. Our scene is the hideout of that notorious underworld figure, Big Joe Jackson. We find Big Joe presiding over a meeting of the nation's toughest criminal gang, Mayhem Incorporated. All right, boys. We meet at the warehouse at midnight. All in favor, say aye. 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 All against, say nay. Nay. Decision unanimous. Steve. Yeah, boss. I want to talk to you. Did you ever know I have a son? Not me, boss. I never knew you had a kid. Matter of fact, I had two. But I only got one left. What'd the other one do? Fly away? <laughs> Where's the other one? You know what they say. Spare the rod and spoil the child. Well, I didn't spare the rod. So what? That's good for kids. Yeah, but this rod was loaded. Look, boss, I can't hang around and talk about your family. I got to get to the bank before it opens. No, you stick around. My kid is on his way over, and I want you to meet him. He's been at school. I haven't seen him in ten years. I can just picture him now. Big. Tough. Ruthless. A killer, just like this old man. Someone's coming. I'll cover the door. Can you tell who it is? I can't even tell what it is. Hi, fellas. Say, where can I find... Here, I'm afraid I'll have to ask you to drop those pistols. Come here, you. I said, come here. You're gonna hit me. You better frisk him, Steve. Okay, boss. Let me feel your hip, kid. Here, I don't even know you. Besides, if you get fresh, nasty, or raucous, I'm gonna have to tell Big Joe. Why, I'm Big Joe. You're Big Joe? Yeah. Well, I'm Small Junior. Dad, don't you know me? <laughs> no, this can't be. Well, when I sent you to school, you were like me. Now look at you. Well, just look at me. Aren't I a doll? 
no, no. What is it, Dad Gas? All right, I've had enough. Junior, you get this. And get it straight. I'm going to make a man out of you. You're joining my gang in the morning. But, Dad, I can join your gang. You're a crook. You smash faces and you break boobs. And torture and murder and slit throats and the blood drips and the eyeball dangles and... Oh, I'm going to be sick. What's cooking, boys? Hey, Molly, come here. I bet you can talk some sense into him. Why don't you try? I wonder what they're planning. <laughs> okay, Joe, just leave it to little Molly. Come here, cutie. Molly wants to talk to you. Oh, no, stand back, woman. Hold your ground. Oh, <laughs> uh, come on, Junior. How about a little kiss? Oh, no, now you're taking advantage, lady. Come on, Junior. Oh, well, you can put your arms around me, but don't kiss me. I don't get to hug me and everything, but don't kiss me. You can tickle my neck and run through my hair barefoot, but Junior, how is that? I like it, I like it. <laughs> well, see, boss, what to tell you? He'll do anything now. Well, what do you say, kid? You ready to play ball? Well, I don't have my spike shoes with me. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing, I can't play good ball. I was playing in a series in 24. I'll never forget that either. Junior. I was two men on, and McDaggin was up. It was three to two. And I'll never forget that the guy... <laughs> Gee, boss, you shot your own son. I lost my head. Junior, are you all right? <laughs> this is it, Dad. It's Clayton's. <laughs> want to die, but before I go, there's just one favor. One thing, just one thing you got to do for me. What is it, son? Anything. I'll do anything. Scratch my back. The bullet hole itches. <laughs> well, you know, it's pretty tough to forget a song, especially when the love bug is involved. About ten years ago, I was working with a band in Cleveland, and there was a gal singer on the band, too. I would ask her to go dancing on our night off, but no soap. Finally, one night, I asked her if she would please listen to a song I was going to sing just for her. Well, I sang the number, and when I was through, she asked me to sit down. Well, I thought that was it, and I really felt like the conquering hero. We sat there for about five minutes just talking. But then she told me she was married to the drummer in the band. Well, the three of us became real good friends, and we still are, but I'll never forget that song I sang for her. I just do 
I don't know why you thrill me like you do. I don't know why you just do. You never seem to want my romance. The only time you hold me is when we're dancing. I don't know why I love you like I do. I don't know why I just do. Anything wrong? Oh, it's nothing, George. Jerry was reminiscing, that's all. Oh, well, I just thought I'd like to say good night. Well, good night, George. And next time you're around this way, you pay us a call, huh? I sure will, Dean. Good night, fellas. Good, good night, night, George. Well, folks, if the old bridge game doesn't start until after showtime again next week, tune us in, won't you? Until then, this is Dean Martin. And Jerry Lewis saying goodnight, everybody. And don't forget, we appear on radio through the courtesy of Hal Wallace Productions, producers of Peking Express. Good night, Good night, everybody. Hollywood, you have just heard transcribed the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis show, written by Ed Simmons and Norman Lear. Produced and directed by Dick Fack, with music under the direction of Dick Stabile, and George Raff appeared on our show because he's nice. All brought to you by Chesterfield, which brings you the greatest lineup of talent in radio and television history. Fred Allen, Arthur Godfrey, Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, Jerry Lester, Perry Como, and Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. And by Anderson, for fast relief from the pain of headache, neuritis, and neuritis.
If you're looking for bargains, I can tell you where to get a real one. It's at the store where you buy your granulated soaps. In other words, it's the famous granulated speed soap, Dash. Yes, Dash is a real bargain because it's now a better soap and it saves you cash. Now, one important reason today's Dash is a better soap is that each little granule swells up into more active, long-lasting suds. Before you realize it, your tub or washer is fairly alive with suds. And you know what that means. It means you're going to get your washable sparkling clean in jig time. You can hardly help it when you've got so much, such a beehive of energetic suds busily at work. And remember this. You don't need to give a thought to how your colored washables will come out. Dash is so safe, they'll come out fresh as morning glories through wash after wash. Yes, Dash is safe for colored washables. Now, that gives you an idea of what this better soap Dash is like. Of course, the really remarkable thing about Dash is that it's so good, yet it's such a bargain. You see, there's more soap crammed into each package of Dash, up to nine more ounces of soap. Next time you're at the store, just hold a package of Dash in your hand. Then feel the weight of other popular granulated soaps. You'll find that Dash is the heaviest of all. Actually, there's so much more soap in a package of Dash that ounce for ounce, it costs up to 20% less. That's a saving of up to 20 cents on every dollar you spend for soap. So why not make a note of Dash on your weekend shopping list now? Your Coca-Cola bottler presents Claudia. Claudia, based on the original stories by Rose Franken. Brought to you transcribed Monday through Friday by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. And now, Claudia. Oh, this is nice. Isn't it nice? Yeah, but uh, I feel a little guilty. Guilty good or guilty bad? Definitely bad. It's half past four in the afternoon. I'm walking with my wife, that's why. That's no good reason. Ask any man on the street. Hey, where we go? The park. All right. We'll cross over on 60th Street. Oh, I wouldn't cross over on any other. <laughs> Say, the apartment will be nice and clean when we get back. Bertha's thorough cleaning. And making stew for supper while she does it. Excuse me, madam. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Darling, watch out where you're going. I was watching something else. Oh, David, there's a little Chinese porcelain, sort of like the one Roger gave us last night. See yeah. it from that store window there? But it's not near as fine. Well, even I can tell that. You uh, really like Roger's present, don't I you? I love it. I wouldn't part with it for the world. He's sort of like an old member of our family. About 950 years older than we'll ever be. Especially if you don't watch out for that car. Hey, be careful, Claudia, will you? Why should I be the lights with us? You want that printed on your headstone? Well, why doesn't that driver get a ticket? He could have killed you. Me? You were the one that almost walked into him. Oh, you were closer to him than I was. Well, I'm tougher. Don't depend on it. Say, let's go into the park here, David. All right. David, what do you think? The zoo's right over there. No, you don't say. Didn't you know? (laughs) (laughs) I never guessed. Oh, David, how wonderful. You're the same way about zoos I am. I am? 
I thought I'd have to educate you to him. I'll have you know that I have had an elephant staked out in this zoo for years. You have? Mm-hmm. She's nothing but a baby, but she's the sweetest little elephant you ever saw. I've kept an eye on her since the day she was born. Oh, Dave, now how could you have had her staked out for years and still say she's nothing but a baby? It is obvious, my dear, that you don't know elephants like I know elephants. Tilly is a baby. A baby at heart, a baby among elephants. How old is she? Oh, about 18. Just the same age as you are. What curves, what dimensions. The man who invented the elephant really did something, you know that? Elephants are gothic. And Tilly, I suppose, is the most gothic of all. Oh, not yet. She is but a babe in arms. Say, David, how do you think Tilly will feel about me? I don't know. I'm hoping that she'll greet you with an open trunk, but I don't know. <laughs> She's quite a jealous elephant. Look, why don't you tell her I'm your sister? Oh, Tilly's not so dumb. She could tell right off that you weren't. Oh. Mm, she's a woman. She could tell. <laughs> hey, let's buy some peanuts. I love peanuts. Here's a little man. Don't you love his whistle? Listen to his whistle. Uh, two bags of peanuts, please. One for the elephant and one for the lady. Oh, sure. Here you are. Hey, you want some nice popcorn for your wife? I got him a nice and a fresh. Lots of butter, <laughs> lots of salt. Do you like? Mm, I love buttered popcorn. Does Tilly like popcorn? Tilly? Oh, you mean the elephant? Oh, yeah. sure. <laughs> she's my best customer. If Tilly's not here, I'd be somewhere else. Well, that puts my nose out a little. But you got to remember, you got to give Tilly the peanuts first. You see, if you give her the popcorn first, she know eat the peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tilly, she love a butter popcorn. Thank you very much. Right this way, dear. Tilly lives over there beyond the menagerie. And I hope you noticed. Even the peanut man knew you were my wife. Is that good? Just the way it should be. I think so. Hey, watch out for the kids on the bike. Hey, boys, wait up. What? I won't go another step. Why not? You've got to tell me something first. Anything. What? How do you feel about chimpanzees? Chimpanzees are second best elephants. Oh, that's good. They're smarter than elephants, too, you know. No, they only look smarter. Well, what's the use of being smart if you don't look it? You ought to know. Hey, we're just in time. For what? For dinner. The seals are being fed. Oh, let's, let's, gosh, they sound awfully hungry. Let's go over there. <laughs> hey, hey, look at that one jump. Uh-huh. Oh, they make swimming look so easy. Here, how would you like to throw a fish? Uh, oh, I forgot to bring some along. I'll throw them a peanut, though. Where will he go to put the shells? In their pockets, silly. Here, catch. <laughs> oh, miss. Say, after Tilly, we'll come back to the seals, okay? All right. Hey, you never should be allowed in a zoo. You're too silly for words. Oh, David. <laughs> Have a peanut, silly. <laughs> I wouldn't deprive you. They're the elephants right around the bend. Oh, they've got a couple of new ones. Can you tell from over here? Of course. Well, I'm impressed. Well, here we are. Look at them. Which one is Tilly? Can't you tell? How should I tell? By her personality, of course. She's so light on her feet. She has such abandon. Is she that one? Which no. one? The one over there rolling her eyes, see? That one? Oh, no. That is Tilly's father. Oh, I'm sick. Anyone could tell that. Careful, David. He's going to blow water at you. At you, you you mean, for calling him a she. How do I know whether he's a he elephant or a she? Oh, that's very simple. It is? Mm Mm-hmm. Lady elephants have much shorter tusks than gents. Oh, then it is simple. Say, look at that cute little elephant coming this way. Hello, Tilly. David, is it... It is. Oh, I don't blame you then. She's charming. She's such a lovely gray here, here, color. Give her some peanuts, Claudia. Here, Tilly, 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 Tilly. Claudia, tilly, she's tilly. an elephant, not a cat. Maybe she doesn't know it, David. She came right over. 
Hello, there, lady. How you been? Hmm? <laughs> nice. Did you miss your Uncle David while he was off getting married? <laughs> What's so funny? You think she doesn't understand, huh? Look at that little boy's face, David. Oh, he's a good boy. He realizes elephants are fascinating creatures. It's not the elephant, David. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> how tired I was, David. Here, I'll hang up your coat, darling. You sit down. David, watch out. Claudia. Oh. Now, why didn't you throw the shells away in the park? And dirty up the lovely park, I should say not. <laughs> I'll pick them up. Well, take me a second. Yeah, I'll help. Move over. Oh, David, this is a lovely afternoon, wasn't it? Mm, not so bad. Good seeing Tilly again. Nice to have met her. I'd like to know what my competition is. You haven't got any. Haven't I? Mm-mm. I'll tell you a secret. Tilly's gotten stout since I saw her last. Happens to the best of them. Doesn't pay to let yourself go. Now, you let that be a lesson to you. I won't eat more than a ton of peanuts a day, darling. Say, this room looks completely different when you're sitting on the floor, not half so bad. Here, hand me your shells. I'll throw them in the waste paper basket. It's all right. I can reach it here under the table. Hey, Claudia, careful. You almost knocked that table over. Oh, no. The mandarin's on this table. Say, David... Now that I see him again, he's much handsomer than the one in that store this afternoon. He has much more personality. Mm, No comparison. No comparison at all. You know, I don't think I've ever owned anything I like as well. I wonder if Mama called while we were out. Ask Bertha, why don't you? I'll call the office in the meanwhile. Give Roger my regards. Tell him thanks again for the little porcelain mandarin. Anything else? Uh, Just one more thing. This? How'd you guess? (laughs) You're so subtle. Huh? You close your eyes. David, I'm glad you like elephants. Well, what's that got to do with us? Everything. Mm, how would you like to go to a baseball game sometime? I've never been to one. Would I like it? Oh, you'd love it. They sell peanuts. Let's go, but not tonight. No? Well, I'd better call Roger before it's too late. Here, help me up before you go. There you are. Darling. Have we got another small table in the house? Certainly. There's one over by the window. I think we ought to put it over here by this chair. Let's put the mandarin on it. This one seems awfully unsteady. That's a good idea. Now, I'll do it when I come back. Mrs. Norton, I finished the bedroom. Oh, Bertha, wonderful. Did anybody call while we were out? No, the phone did not ring once. I dust a little in here now, yeah? You do not mind. No, I do not mind. (laughs) We'll go in the bedroom not disturb you. Bertha. Yeah? When was the last time you went to the zoo? Oh, such a long time ago. Well, do me a favor and go again soon with Fritz. Oh, we are too old. The zoo's for young people and children. Oh, no, it isn't, Bertha. That's a mistaken idea. And, Bertha, if Fritz is anything like Mr. Norton, he'll act like a perfect fool and you'll wish you'd never gone with him. (laughs) And you'll never want to go with anybody else. Here, let me help you with this chair. I can do it. Don't be silly. I'd like to help you. There. Mmm... I'd, I'd dust fast and come back tomorrow. <gasps> the mandarin. Oh, all in little pieces. It is broken. Oh, look at it. Oh, Mrs. Norton, look what I've done in a hundred pieces. Oh, I'm so clumsy. It's all right, Bertha. 
All right, never the beautiful little doll all in pieces. Ach, Bertha, you are such a dumb cop. It's my fault, Bertha. I, I should have put the other table here. Miss, Mrs. Norton, I buy you another. Tell me. I go right now and please tell me Don't where. Don't be silly, Bertha. It's not worth all this fuss. Oh, but I must get you another. We'll get ourselves another. Maybe it isn't so simple. It's simpler than that. This was just a cheap little china doll we bought at the ten-cent store. It's certainly not worth all this fuss, Bertha. You can get another just like it? Exactly like it. No trouble at all. Mrs. Snot, I'm so glad. I was so unhappy I broke I have already forgotten about it, Bertha. We'll get another in the morning. And I pay for it. Anything you say, just so you don't worry. (sighs) I feel better now about it. I hope you pick up the pieces. Oh, it's much too late. Say, Fritz will be sending the police out for you if you don't get downstairs. I'll pick up the pieces myself. Mrs. Norton, good night. I come up early tomorrow. Fine, Bertha. And thanks for coming up. I buy you another little doll tomorrow. Good night. Oh, David. Hello, darling. David, he's broken in little pieces. I know. You saw it? Mm-hmm. I heard you, too. You know, you're a nice girl, darling. I love you. What else could I do, David? I know lots of people who wouldn't have thought to do what you did. Oh, anybody would have. Anybody who'd had as nice a day as I've had. Think so? I was just being selfish, David. I I couldn't bear to spoil the lovely afternoon we had by seeing Bertha so upset. Besides, the mandarins live to be centuries old, and, 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 and Bertha already thinks she's too old to go to the zoo. <laughs> do me a favor, darling. What, David? I promise to take you to the zoo once every week if you promise to stay just this selfish. It's a deal? It's a deal. Come on. Help me pick up the mandarin's pieces. story material used on this broadcast of Claudia was under the supervision of Rose Franken and William Brown Maloney. It's no trick these days to buy enough Coca-Cola to take home and stock up the family refrigerator. But did you know that more and more food stores are also installing the familiar red cooler so that you can enjoy ice-cold, delicious Coca-Cola on the spot and shop refreshed? It's a point to bear in mind the next time you do your marketing. Every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you transcribed with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again tomorrow at the same time. And now this is Joe King saying au revoir 
And remember, whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For ice-cold Coca-Cola makes any pause the pause that refreshes. William Bendix. Nobody can act up to par with a nasty cold. I check my cold distress the fast way with four-way cold tablets. Yes, tests of four leading cold tablets proved four-way fastest acting of all. Amazing four-way starts in minutes to relieve aches, pains, headache, reduce fever, calm, upset stomach, also overcomes irregularity. Four-way is the fast way to relieve those cold miseries. Then you feel better quickly. Four-way cold tablets, only 29 and 59 cents. Mother, is Maxwell House really the only coffee in the world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons. Brought to you by America's favorite coffee, Maxwell House. The coffee that's always good to the last drop. In the third act of Romeo and Juliet, the fair Miss Capulet comes up with a dilly. Was ever book containing such vile matter so fairly bound, she asks. You know what she meant? Don't judge a book by its cover, that's all. Well, in Springfield, in the white frame house on Maple Street, the Andersons aren't quite as flowery as Julia, but they're going to be given a treat just the same in the fine art of judging books and other things, like this. Margaret, I'm home! Margaret! anything else I could do. What's going on in here? Didn't you hear me call? I'm sorry, dear. We didn't know you'd come in. Hello, Hi, Daddy. Daddy. Hello. I've been standing in the hall for ten minutes, screaming my head off. Well, we seem to have a little problem. Father, I couldn't help it. Really, I couldn't. What did she do now? She's in love, Kathy. Mush. That's all it is. Just plain mush. Never mind, bud. Margaret, I uh, may be a little dense, but since when does Betty falling in love constitute a problem? Father. She changes boyfriends like I change my socks. Jim, the problem is not Betty's new boyfriend. Well, Kathy just said... I said she was in love, and she is. Why don't you mind your own business? I do. I mind everybody's business. <laughs> Mush, that's all it is. Mush. <laughs> but if that's the most you can add to the general conversation Well, holy cow, Dad, I'm hungry Well, we'll have dinner in a very few minutes But not until your father knows what Betty has done Done? You make it sound like I've robbed the bank Has she? Father And stop saying father Jumping creepers 
That's better. Jim. Honey, give me the horrible details of Betty's latest crime and let's eat. She invited the Van Nortons to Sunday dinner. Fine. Now, if it's... Who? The Van Nortons. The Van Nortons? The Van Nortons. What did she do that for? I told you, Father, I couldn't help it. She thinks he's gorgeous. <laughs> I do not. Well, you told Jane Liggett he was. I never did. Kathy? Oh, you did, too. You took the phone into the hall closet, and you thought I couldn't hear. And you told Jane Mother! All right, girls, that'll be enough. But, Father... I said that'll be enough. Daddy? Yes? She said he was gorgeous. Mush. That's all it is. Mush. <laughs> Look, uh, as long as we're getting into this thing, let's uh, start from the beginning. Who is gorgeous? Roger Van Norden. Only I never said he was. She did, too. Kathy, you stay out of this. Yes, Daddy. When I want you to tell me something, I'll ask you. Yes, Daddy. All right. But she did. <laughs> Margaret. There's nothing very complicated about it, Jim. Roger Van Norton and Betty have been seeing quite a bit of one another at school. He has a convertible. Well, if it isn't complicated, what's the problem? It gets complicated later. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> Betty invited Roger to dinner. Well, only because he said he thought it'd be nice. I see. He's the subtle kind. <laughs> He's a drip. Mother, if you don't make them stop... Bud, when you have as much money as the Van Nortons, you can't be a drip. He's a rich drip. <laughs> he is one of the nicest boys in the whole school. And he's coming to dinner. With his family. And his convertible. That's the part I don't understand. The convertible? The family. I don't understand any of it. <laughs> it wasn't my idea, Father, about the family. He said he thought it'd be nice. What would? If we met. I thought you knew him. She means the families, dear. Oh, not the convertibles. <laughs> We don't have a convertible. That was a joke, Dopey. <laughs> what was? What Dad said. It was? <laughs> it was his kind of a joke. Oh. Well, now that that's all straightened out, may I ask just one more question? What's the problem? Father, we just told you. Look. Let's make believe I just got back from a long trip into the heart of the African jungle. Jim. We haven't seen one another in almost eight years. And I say, what's the problem? Now, what do you say? Hello, Daddy. Happy. <laughs> well, he said we hadn't seen him in eight years. Jim, it's really very simple. The whole problem is the rose chair in the living room. I think I'll go back to the jungle. <laughs> Father, you've never seen the Van Norton's house. It has a swimming pool and a tennis court. I still don't and see... And six bedrooms. What's that got to do with the rose chair in the living room? It's being repaired, isn't it? They brought it back today. All right. If they didn't do a good job, make them do it over. Well, they did a wonderful job, dear. It looks just like new. And it makes everything else look awful. 
Wait a minute. You mean because we have one chair recovered, we've got to have the whole house done over? Oh, no, dear. Well. Just the living room. Now, just a minute. <laughs> if Betty wants to invite the Van Nortons over for dinner, that's all right. But... I'm as broad-minded as anybody. Just because the Van Nortons are the richest people in Springfield, that doesn't mean they aren't as good as anyone else. They might very easily be. The doorbell rang. But when you tell me I've got to have the whole living room done over, well, that's carrying things a little too far. Jim. The doorbell rang. As far as I'm concerned, the living room looks fine. And if anybody thinks I'm going to change it, they've got another thing coming. The doorbell rang. <laughs> but it just needs a little paint. Bud, didn't you hear the doorbell? Sure. Well, what are you waiting for? Betty shook her head. Margaret, I don't know what's gotten into these children. I swear I don't. They don't even make sense. I didn't do anything. Bud, see who's at the door. Why blame it on me? I didn't shake my head. It was Betty. Jim, I think there's something you ought to know. I think there are a lot of things I ought to know. <laughs> Father, promise you won't make a scene. About what? The decorator. What decorator? The one who rang the bell. You sent for a decorator? Mom, it's Mr. Worthington. Oh, dear. Uh, tell him we'll be right in. Tell him to go away. Jim, please. Honey, I told you in the very beginning... Betty, why don't you and Kathy go into the living room and entertain Mr. Worthington? But I want to tell Father. I'll tell your father everything he needs to know. Now, go ahead. Come on, Kathy. Why don't we have everything painted black so it won't show the dirt? <laughs> Now, Margaret, in the first place... In the first place, Jim Anderson, you've got to realize that we have a definite obligation to our children. I never said that we didn't, but... And when the recognized social leaders of our town show an interest in our daughter, the very least we can do is make the best possible impression. Well, sure, but... For her sake. Margaret, if we've got to get new furniture and repaint the whole house every time we want to make a good impression... No one said anything about new furniture... You said... And no one mentioned repainting the whole house. Then why did you call Worthington? He's the most expensive decorator in Springfield. He won't look at a job that's under $500. Well? You mean we're going to spend $500? On the living room? It shouldn't be much more than that. More? <laughs> On one room? Jim, you have no idea how expensive good painters have become. Who's he going to hire, Michelangelo? <laughs> of course, if you don't want your daughter to meet the right sort of people... That isn't the point. I'm as good a father as anybody in Springfield. But $500 for one room? Why don't we do it ourselves? Jim, that's ridiculous, and you know it. Why is it? We can get a few cans of paint and a couple of brushes and have it finished in no time at all. What's ridiculous about that? But every time you've offered to paint anything in the past... This is different. We can all pitch in and help. $500. There isn't that much paint in the whole state. Oh, dear. Now I don't know what to do. Honey, please, as a favor to me, let's do it my way. Just this once. You won't get tired right in the middle of a wall. Of course not. You'll use just the colors I choose? I'll paint the room lavender and puce, if that's what you want. I still think we ought to let Mr. Worthington... Margaret, look, I won't even go into the office tomorrow. I'll buy the paint and some new brushes, and I'll spend the whole day doing just what you want me to do. Well, 
All right, Jim. But remember, if you do one little Margaret, thing... Margaret, so help me, when I'm finished, you'll be the happiest woman in Springfield. I hope so. Now, you'd better tell Mr. Worthington we've changed our minds. We've changed our minds? I never wanted him in the first place. <laughs> Jim, if you're going to be difficult about it... Okay, if that's the way you feel. Mommy, Mr. Worthington says he has to talk to you about colors. Your father's going right in, aren't you, dear? Yes, into the Valley of Death marched the 600. Who? Never mind, dear. Your father's being funny. Again? <laughs> I never saw it to fail. Anytime there's an unpleasant job, I have to do it. I never wanted the guy in the very... Mother, did it work? Did he say he would? Your father starts painting in the morning. Oh, Mother, you're a genius. Oh, it wasn't anything, really. But how did you do it? Last time, he swore he'd never paint another thing as long as he lived. Well, it's very simple, dear. You just use the same thing that wives have been using on husbands for thousands and thousands of years. Child psychology. When it comes to psychology, mother may well be the family genius, but there are times when the man of the house is well worth listening to. Yes, and when he says, Best coffee I ever tasted. Why, those words should warm your heart. Because when it comes to coffee, that husband of yours has a mighty important title. Yes, ma'am, he's the world's greatest coffee expert. Of course, you might call us experts, too. More families do enjoy our Maxwell House than any other brand. But when you pour the coffee, the expert with the final word, he's your husband. And tomorrow, if you'll serve him Maxwell House, we're sure he'll beam and say, best coffee I ever tasted. In fact, if he doesn't, we'll give you your money back. We're that sure. You see, no other coffee has that wonderful good-to-the-last-drop flavor. Because no other coffee has our famous Maxwell House recipe, a recipe demanding certain special coffees blended just so. That's right, no coffee tastes like Maxwell House because no coffee's made like Maxwell House. So tomorrow, get a pound of our coffee. Fill your husband's cup with Maxwell House. If he doesn't say, best coffee ever, why, just send us the can and unused portion, and we'll gladly refund every penny you paid. Our address is right on every familiar blue tin. That's our story. Tomorrow, then, won't you serve your expert coffee with the world's most famous flavor? Serve your husband Maxwell House coffee. Always good to the last drop. There's an old Dutch proverb that says, Paint costs nothing. Such are its preserving qualities. Well, that's a fine slogan for the people who sell the stuff, but they better not mention it to Jim Anderson. It's Sunday in Springfield, and paint is a pretty sore subject in the white frame house on Maple Street. At any rate, it's going to be very shortly. Like this. All right, bud, uh, shove the couch a little toward me. Uh, okay, that's fine. Now, does that cover it, Kathy? Yes, Daddy. How about the spot near the fireplace? Uh, we'll, uh, hang a picture over it. We used up all the pictures for the other spots. Well, we'll get another picture. 
Are there any left in your room, bud? Nope, or in yours either. I don't know. How could one small child make such a large mess in such a short time? I don't think it looks bad. I kind of like it. When your mother gets back... Well, I hate to think of it. I didn't know it wasn't the same color paint. It said green. Why didn't you just leave it the way it was? I don't know. I'll bet we've got more pictures in our living room than anybody in Springfield. <laughs> when the Van Nortons get here, they won't know if this is the Andersons or the American Museum of Art. Maybe Mommy won't notice it. Now, there's a brilliant thought. Maybe if we stand in the middle of the room and put lampshades over our heads, she won't notice us. Where are you going? To get a lampshade. Come back here. And keep your hands off the wall. Yes, Daddy. You know, Dad, I still think it doesn't look too bad. If you like pictures. I like pictures as well as anybody. But I still think we ought to be able to see the wall. Daddy. Oh, it's all right, kitten. I'll explain the whole thing to your mother. <laughs> I better get out of here. You stay right where you are. But I just remembered a date I forgot. Well, forget you remembered it. Jim, we got the loveliest flowers. Oh, that's uh, fine, dear. We're in this together, and we'll stay in it together. Father, it's blue balls in the living room. Uh, yes. Uh, practically everything's in the living room. <laughs> May I stand in back of you, Daddy? Please. Now, no one's going to hurt you, Kathy. Jim, you have never seen such beautiful flowers in your... Jim. Now, now, just take it easy, honey, and I'll explain the whole thing. You see... But you better grab some of these before they... <gasps> uh, sit down, Betty, while I tell you what happened. You see... My living room. What have you done to my living room? Well, why don't we think of it as our living room, then it won't hurt you. <laughs> Hour. I haven't been gone more than a half hour, and look what you've done to this room. Oh, Bud, how could you? Me? Just because you don't like Roger Van Norton. Oh, Kathy, stop it. All I did was carry pictures and move furniture. Why blame it on me? Kathy, please. Now, will someone please tell me the meaning of this art gallery? I was just trying to fix it, Mommy. She made a little smudge, Margaret. That's all she did. A smudge? With her basketball. <laughs> so she got a can of paint to touch it up. And uh, that made another smudge. You mean, in back of each of those pictures is a smudge? Well, not exactly. Uh, some of them are drips. <laughs> Well, you know what it means. We'll have to do the entire wall over. I know, honey, but we can't do it today. And I thought while the Van Nortons were we here... We can't let them see this. Why, they think we were out of our minds. I've got news for you. They'd be right. <laughs> I don't think it looks so bad. It's kind of cheerful. The only boy in the whole school with a convertible, and you have to do this. Bud, push the couch back where it belongs. You won't like it, Mom. Uh, why, uh, why don't we just leave everything the way it is? And then tomorrow... There can't be a smudge that big. No, but... Well, you see, I didn't know Kathy had the paint can on the chair. Jim, you didn't. Of course not. I uh, stepped in it, that's all. <laughs> but you see, when it tipped over... You mean it's all over the floor? Just under the couch, honey. 
But we can take care of that. Why in... didn't you hang some pictures on the ceiling? Because the paint didn't splash that high. <laughs> Look, it's only on this one wall, Margaret, and if you'll just listen to reason... I've listened all I intend to listen. Kathy, take these flowers into the kitchen. Yes, Mommy. I just wanted to help. That's all I wanted to do. Bud, go up to the attic and get some more pictures. More? You'll find them in the box marked blankets. But, Mom, if we... And stop arguing. I wasn't arguing, but if you put any more pictures... Holy cow. (laughs) Honey, don't you think we've got enough pictures now? If we put up any more... We've got to balance the ones you put up. As long as you've got them clear to the floor, we'll have to put them clear to the ceiling. But who looks at pictures up there? The same people who crawl on the floor to look at them down there. (laughs) Well, all right, honey, if that's the way you want it. Mother, they're here. Oh, no, they can't be. Let's all hide in the cellar and maybe they'll go away. (laughs) What are we going to do? Jim, you've got to keep them out of here. Okay. Where'd you put my shotgun? Jim. (laughs) Will you please let them in? You just said to keep them out. Out of the living room. Oh. Uh, how do I do that? Take them into the den. Take them anywhere. But don't let them in here. Well, okay. Come on, Betty. Mother. Go ahead, dear. I'll be in in just a few minutes. Father, what if they go right in? Very simple. We'll just hit them over the head with a meat cleaver. (laughs) Father. All right, Betty. Let's, uh, smile. I wish I were dead. Well, hello. Hello, Mr. Anderson. Hello, Roger. Hi, Betty. Come on in. No sense standing out there in the cold. Well, Mr. Anderson, we feel this is quite an imposition. It's no such thing. Why, we've been looking forward to seeing you. (laughs) Go on in, Roger. No one's going to bite you. Hello, Mr. Anderson. Father, this is Roger. You know, I had a sneaking suspicion that's who it might be. (laughs) Glad to know you, son. And I'm his old man. I suspected that, too. Well, now that we know who everybody is, let's go someplace and sit down. Now, just let me have your things, and we can all go into the den and be comfortable. Roger, why don't you help Mr. Anderson like a good boy? Mom. I keep forgetting he isn't a good boy anymore. He's a young man. (laughs) Well, whatever it is, let's go sit down. (laughs) Mr. Van Norton. Nellie, I told you in the very beginning I didn't want to wear these shoes. Oh, they're friends. They don't mind if I call you Tilly, do you, Jim? No, not at all. My name's Jake. Jake? Well, if you want to be technical, it's Westbrook, Sylvester Van Norton III. (laughs) Horrible thing to hang on a kid, wasn't it? Everybody just calls me Jake. Okay, Jake. Uh, The den's right in here. My mother said she'd only be a moment. Oh, that's quite all right, dear. Oh, my feet are killing me. What seems to be the trouble? These shoes. Never had them on before. (laughs) Well, sit down. Take it easy. Oh, that's a little better. Dad, for crying out loud. He thinks I'm going to disgrace him. Uh, Jake has such a lot of trouble with his feet. It isn't my feet, it's these shoes. Jim, tell me the truth. Would you have noticed if I'd been wearing my old shoes? I don't think so. There. You see, Rod? I could have been comfortable all the time. But no, I had to wear my new shoes. We had to make a good impression. (laughs) Well, Jake, uh, if they hurt, uh, why don't you take them off? You mean you won't mind? Of course not. Jake! Well... Holy cow, Dad. Holy cow? 
Is he a holy coward? Never stops. Is yours? Chief stable boy. Oh, brother, does that feel good. <laughs> oh, Kathy! I'm fixing the flowers! Uh, run upstairs and get my slippers for Mr. Van Norton. Okay. And uh, put the light on under the coffee. Jim, I love you like a brother. Dad, Mom says she'll be ready in a couple of minutes. Fine, bud. Oh, I don't think you've met my boy. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Van Norton, this is Holy Cow Jr. Uh, how are you, bud? I'm pleased to meet you. And this is Roger. Hi. I know all about Bud. You hit 383 for Springfield High last year, didn't you? How'd you know that? Oh, I just happened to know it. He just happens to know everything that has anything to do with baseball. He does. Roger's quite a baseball player himself, you know. He is. Turned down a contract with the Dodgers last spring. He did? Not the Dodgers, Dad. It was just a farm club. Holy cow. There you see. What'd I tell you? <laughs> Jim, we ought to form a club. The Fathers Who Suffer from Holy Cows Incorporated. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> Gee whiz. <laughs> why didn't you tell me, Betty? I didn't know. Betty... While the men are talking, why don't we go inside and see if we can do anything for your mother? Oh, no. I mean, mother doesn't want us to. She doesn't want us to. Really, she doesn't. It's quite all right, Betty. Oh, are we all set, honey? Yes, dear. Everything's all ready. How do you do, Mrs. Van Norton? How do you do, Mrs. Mr. Anderson? Mr. Van Norton? Mrs. Anderson? And, of course, this is Roger. Hello, Mrs. Anderson. Betty's told us all about you. She has? Well, it's awfully crowded in here, isn't it? Why don't we go into the living room? The living room? But you said... It's all right, Jim. And I'm sure we'll all be more comfortable. Well, it's all right with me. You have a lovely on, home, kids. Mrs. Anderson. Oh, but we've you. seen of it. Oh, well, thank you, Mrs. Van Norton. It's nothing pretentious, of course, but we like it. I like anything as long as I don't have to put those shoes back on. <laughs> I uh, hope you don't mind the smell of fresh paint, Mrs. Van Norton. You see, we've been doing a little redecorating. The living room isn't quite finished, but I'm sure you'll understand. Well, of course, dear. We've just been going through the same thing our... <laughs> Uh, nice looking room, isn't it, Tilly? Gosh. Oh, Mother. Look, uh, Jake, as long as we're going to be friends, uh, I might as well tell Mrs. you... Mrs. Anderson, I'm going to ask you a very personal question, and I hope you won't be offended. Why, not at all. Have you ever heard of a decorator named Worthington? Well, yes. Matter of fact, he was here just a few nights ago. That's what I thought. But we felt that... Uh, Mrs. Anderson... Billy, it isn't important. It most certainly is. I paid Mr. Worthington $1,000 to decorate my living room. Well, that's very nice, And but... he did mine exactly like he did yours. Oh, no! This weekend, chances are you'll buy coffee for your family, and you'll look for one thing, flavor, the most in flavor for your money. So take home the one coffee famous for flavor above all others. Take home a pound of Maxwell House coffee. Then put it up to the world's greatest coffee expert. Yes, pour a cup of Maxwell House for your husband. He's the number one expert on coffee. When he smiles and says, best coffee ever, You'll know Maxwell House has the flavor. 
and you can count for yourself all the truly good cups of coffee you get from every pound. At your grocer's, look for coffee that gives you your money's worth and more. Look for the friendly blue tin with the big white cup and drop. That's your sign of good coffee. Maxwell House Coffee. Always good to the last drop. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Robert Young. Tonight I've been asked to tell you something about the American economic system. And that's rather difficult, because what can I tell you about a subject like that? You are the American economic system. You're the flesh and blood and bone of a country that works better, plays better, and lives better than any other country in the world today. Farmer, merchant, butcher, baker, we ask only that you appreciate your magnificent past and recognize the infinite possibilities of your future. Write to Box 10, Times Square Station, New York City, for the free booklet, The Miracle of America. Learn how a great country can be made even greater by your cooperation. Thank you, and good night. At breakfast time, you don't have to say... You children eat your cereal right this instant. Just say... Hop along, Cassidy is crazy about hot wheat meal. Just a little psychology. Yes, to get your children to eat a hot cereal, just tell them post-wheat meal is Hop along, Cassidy's favorite hot cereal. And they'll eat it, too. Post-wheat meal is chock full of solid whole wheat nourishment, has a wonderful nut-like flavor, and it cooks in just three and a half minutes. You'll see, you'll all agree, it's the best hot cereal you ever ate. Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Yes, exciting and authentic Dragnet is next on NBC. Not so many years ago, tomato soup and cream of tomato were unusual dishes, enjoyed very much, but not very often. Today, of all the soups in the world, tomato soup is the one most often served. Not because women have taken to making tomato soup frequently. No, on the contrary, few housewives ever attempted anymore. There's just one reason for tomato soup's popularity, and it is this. The magic, matchless flavor of Campbell's tomato soup. There's a lively verve, a dashing zest about this flavor that people take to at once and come back to and enjoy again and again. The first racy taste of it has a way of arousing a desire to eat. And yet there's a pleasant feeling of satisfaction when the last spoonful is gone. So this soup is a happy choice for the main dish at lunchtime or at supper, and it also is a fine way to start the day's main meal. Serve it sometimes, too, as cream of tomato, made with milk instead of water. You can always be sure that it will be received with pleasure, because this, of all soups, is the one people like to have most often, Campbell's tomato soup. Ladies and gentlemen, 
The secret word tonight is heart. H-E-A-R-T. Really? You bet your life! The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Groucho! Well, spring is just around the corner. I wish I was. Hey, that's me, Groucho Marx. Thank you, thank you. Well, here I am again with $1,500 for one of our couples tonight. George Fenneman, who gets first whack at it? We asked if there were any couples here tonight who had been married more than 50 years. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mr. and Mrs. A.S. Thacker, and here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, kids, for the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. <laughs> and if you say the secret word at any time we're, wa- we're talking, you'll win $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you always have with you. So you two are married more than 50 years, eh? Yeah. Uh, how long have you been married, uh, Mrs. Thacker? Fifty years, and last November. And uh, how long have you been married, Mr. Thacker? <laughs> how, do, how does it feel to be celebrating your uh, 50th uh, wedding anniversary, Mr. Thacker? Well, just beautiful, yeah. wonderful. About the same as the 49th, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, how was the 48th? Do you remember that? About the same. About the same. <laughs> Well, let's try the 39th. How was that year? Huh? Well, it was wonderful, too. Yes, that was a great year, the 39th. <laughs> How long have you been in California, Mr. Thacker? 27 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, why, did, why did you come here? Well, we was living in Spokane at that time, and I wanted a warmer climate. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it have been cheaper to put on heavy underwear? <laughs> Where, where did you formally reside, uh, Mrs. Thacker? Before that, I mean. In Texas, Gainesville, Texas. Was that near Nacogdoches or Denison? Or, uh, <laughs> yes. I was once pinched in Nacogdoches for playing euchre on the front porch of the hotel. Right? <laughs> Happened to be on a Sunday. You're not allowed to play euchre on uh, Nacogdoches on Sunday. Right? <laughs> As a matter of fact, the way I play, they shouldn't have allowed it on Saturday either. <laughs> Uh, may I ask uh, how old you were when you got married, Mrs. Thacker? Twenty. Twenty, yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. And how old were you when uh, Mrs. Thacker took you out of circulation? Uh... I was twenty-six. Well, you're seventy-six? I'm seventy-seven now. Seventy-seven. Well, you just passed the spirit of seventy-six. Huh? <laughs> what, sort of, what sort of work do you do now, Mr. Thacker? I don't work. You're a bum? <laughs> You look so prosperous, Mr. Thacker. You worked a mere 50 years and then quit. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Don't you want to amount to something when you grow up? Do you, do you have any children, uh, Mitty? Yes, sir. have uh, two sons. You have two sons. That's in Arizona, isn't it? Uh... <laughs> Do you, do you have any grandchildren, uh, yes, Mrs. Thacker? Sir. Yes, sir, I have two. Two. Do you have any great-grandchildren? No, sir. Do you have any great-great-grandchildren? No, sir. You're in a rut. 
Now, after all these years of marriage, do you have any pet name for your wife, Mr. Thacker? Yes, sir. I, I always called her Sweetheart. You just said hot, and that was the secret word, so you just won $100 in cash. Compliments of the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. Thank you. Thank you. And we are definitely using hot as the secret word tonight in honor of the 1950 hot campaign now going on all over America. And Mrs. Uh, Thacker, wh what do you call 23 Skidoo here? <laughs> Call him Shorty. You call him Shorty? <laughs> Is that for any financial reason? Or... <laughs> Do you remember who did the proposing when you uh, when you were engaged, Mr. Thacker? Yes, sir, I did. Well, what did she say after you proposed? I don't have any idea. <laughs> Maybe she said no. How do you? This, this could all be a horrible mistake. <laughs> Mrs. Thacker, do you remember exactly what you said when he proposed? No. You said no. Well, then I was right. It is a horrible mistake. <laughs> well, seriously, it's been inspiring having you two here with a 50-year marriage. You've set a fine example for the young couples of America. And I hope you'll invite me to your 75th anniversary. Now, in just one minute, you're going to work together for a chance to win a lot of money. You bet your life. Your DeSoto Plymouth dealer pledges himself to treat you fairly and squarely, day after day, year after year. In fact, that's the way the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America feel about all the customers they serve. That's their pledge, and they'll do their utmost to live up to it at all times. No matter why you drive into a DeSoto Plymouth dealer's, you'll find it the honest desire of all the folks there to serve you to the very best of their ability. They know that's the kind of attention that will make you a satisfied and steady customer in the years to come. That's why it pays to stop where you see the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Now then, let's see if you two youngsters will get the chance at the $1,500. Fenneman, tell them the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected Name the Fruit as your category. Is that right? Yes, sir. Now, here's your first question. You have $20, and how much will you risk? Ten. What type of fruit is a pippin? Uh, apple. An apple is right. And I'm on my way with $30. You're on your way, as Fenneman says. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. How much of your $30 will you try? $10. $10. What is a bartlet? Pear. A pear is correct. <laughs> Now they have $40, Groucho. Now you have $40, huh? Here's your third question. How much of the 40 will you try? 20. What kind of fruit is a muscat? M-U-S-C-A-T. It's a fruit. Do you think it's a grape? And you think it's a grape? Well, it is a grape. Ah. They're climbing now. They have $60, Groucho. 
Uh, now you have sixty dollars. Uh, here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the sixty are you going to go for? How much you say, Mother? I said thirty. Okay, thirty Listen. then. What is meant by a yellow cling? A yellow cling is a peach. Is a peach is right. And they wind up with a grand total of ninety dollars. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, don't go away now. You might get a chance at the big question. Groucho, the secret word is still heart. Yes, George. Perhaps the next couple will say it. Yes, George. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Blanche Ames, a department store buyer, Mr. Alexander Atkinson, a married man. And here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. One of you says the secret word. He wins $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Mr. Uh, Mr. Atkinson, huh? Right. You're, you're the married man? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very happily married. Very happily. Oh, well, yeah. There's no point in getting pugnacious about it. Huh? Very <laughs> Atkinson, there's a... are you related to the dramatic critic on the New York Times? I'm related to a former governor of Georgia. Well, that's not oh, quite the Brooks, same thing. Brooks huh? Atkinson. I mean Brooks Atkinson. Oh, yes. He's a distant relative. Is he? Well, he must yeah. be if you're here and he's in New York. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're, where are you from, Mr. Atkinson? I'm from the land of sunshine, flowers, beautiful women, juicy oranges, and no smog. <laughs> are you inferring that we have smog here in California, Mr. Atkinson? Oh, uh, that's what I've heard. Of course, I live out in beautiful, enchanting uh, San Fernando Valley myself. I don't get out in Los Angeles very much myself. You see. I'm kind of intrigued with San Fernando Valley. The Off promise, hand. the promised land. Well, they've been promising a lot. I don't know whether <laughs> offhand I would say you are a realtor. Is that right? Well, I have uh, I have a property down in Florida, but recently I got a letter saying uh, that it was underwater. That they discovered <laughs> they discovered land on my property down there. They discovered land yeah. on your property. <laughs> a mighty good joke. You mind if I use that next week? <laughs> Just, uh, just what is your profession, Mr. Atkinson? Well, uh, back during the Hoover Prosperity that we were having back in the 30s... I, I beg your to... pardon. Uh... <laughs> not, please, not while I'm smoking, huh? I got tired of eating the grapefruit and oranges. That's about all I had to eat, so I wanted a little meat. I just go out and catch the bullfrogs at night. <laughs> I go out at night and catch these frogs, and you take them and fry them in butter. Man, that's better than southern fried chicken. Well, I must try that sometime. <laughs> tourists, these tourists came down there. And, you know, and... these are Yankees. Anyway, they uh, kind of took a liking for these. <laughs> well, what, what do you do now, up. Senator Claghorn? <laughs> well, at the present time, it's my good fortune to be associated with the finest studio in Hollywood. That comes from the bottom of my heart. That's Warner Brothers. We are really well, doing good. Mr. Atkinson, you went on gabbing so long that you finally won $100. You said hot, and that's the secret word. So you win $100 in no cash, kidding. compliments of the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. Huh?
<laughs> Mr. Atkinson, are you related to the Atkinson in New York? Huh? <laughs> Relatives everywhere. Georgia's Phil Fuller. I got relatives all over Georgia. Yeah, well, you could talk yourself into relatives. <laughs> uh, how, do, how do you do, Miss, uh, Miss Ames? How do you do? No, I asked you first. How do you do? Huh? <laughs> this is high-class cocktail conversation. <laughs> you're, a, you're a department store buyer, is that right? That's right. Uh-huh. How many department stores have you bought this week? <laughs> I don't buy department stores. I buy for a department store. Oh, I, I beg your pardon. Well, which one? Uh, Orbach's. You're from Orbach's, you say? In, uh... And Philadelphia. Did you buy d- department stores back in Philadelphia? I'm afraid you don't follow me. <laughs> well, even if I did, there's nothing to be afraid of. Uh... <laughs> Where, where do you do this buying, Blanche? Uh, at Orbox in the Oval Room. And well, what do you buy for them? I buy better dresses. Better dresses? And who buys the worst ones? <laughs> Did you ever buy any dresses that your store can't sell? Um, I get stuck with a few white elephants. White elephants? Huh? I can see why you get stuck with them. <laughs> what do you do with these white elephants? Well, when they don't move, why, we usually mark them down for sale. If they don't move, they must be dead, is that it? <laughs> Imagine a store full of dead white elephants. <laughs> must be quite a problem on a hot day. Huh? <laughs> well, wh- where do you keep them? Where do you keep these uh, dead white elephants, huh? Well, we hang them on racks. <laughs> oh, I wonder they're dead, huh? Now, let's be calm and go at this thing scientifically, Blanche. Huh? Now, what I originally asked you, Blanche, was do you ever buy any dresses for your store that you can't sell? Yes, uh, I'm afraid to... Are they changing the styles this year, Blanche? Yes, the trend is more towards the shorter skirt. Do you think we could speed up that trend a little? Huh? <laughs> After all, I haven't got so long to go, you know. <laughs> Well, where are skirts being worn now? And don't tell me around the waist, huh? Where are they being worn now, Blanche? About halfway between the knee and the floor. Hmm. Sounds like you need new elastic in your suspenders. <laughs> well, wake up, uh, Mr. Atkinson. <laughs> How long does your wife wear her dresses? Uh? About two or three years. <laughs> okay, go back to sleep, Mr. Atkinson. <laughs> I'll wake you up as soon as Thyman runs again. <laughs> well, we know a good deal about department stores and elephants. Now, you're going to work together for a chance at $1,500. You beat our other two couples, and you get a chance at the big question later. I can't tell you how much the first couple won, but Fenneman's off stage to remind our listeners. Mr. and Mrs. Thacker, who've been married for 50 years, earn $90. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected romantic songs as your category. Here's your first question. You have $20. How much are you going to risk? Ten. Let's see if you can identify this song. Play, Jerry. Sweet and lovely. Sweet and lovely. We're on our way with $30, Rocho. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. Now, how much of the $30 will you try? Twenty. What's the name of this romantic song? Okay, Jerry. 
secluded rendezvous. What is it? Talk up. One answer between you. In some secluded rendezvous. Oh. Cocktails for two. Cocktails for two. Run away now. $50. Well, you came two in the last quarter there, Blanche. All right, here's your third question. How much of the 50 will you try? 40. Give me the title of this song. Once in a while. Once in a while. They're really climbing now. They have $90. All right, you got $90. Now, how much are you going to... The whole 90. The whole 90. your last chance to beat the other couples. You're going to go for the 90? Go yes. for the 90. What's this song? Give me the title. Small hotel is right. And they wind up with $180. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, we'll soon know who gets the chance at the $1,500 question. Fenneman, who's ahead? The department store buyer and the married man are leading with $180. And the secret word is still heart. We invited some hobos and some job analysts to the show tonight. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mrs. Evelyn Robbins and Mr. Bill Hewitt. Fenneman, where on earth did you ever get a hobo? Oh, you have to ask the hobo, Groucho. And here they come. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome uh, to the DeSoto Plymouth program. If one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 instantly. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Okay, now I'll find out where the hobo comes from. Uh, uh, Miss Robbins, where are you from? Huh? New York. <laughs> New York. How long have you lived out here? Three years. Three years. Uh, well, you add quite some beauty to the local scene. Thank you. Who do, who do you work for? The Ames Bureau of Employment. What do you do there? Well, I'm a job analysis. And what is the function of a job analysis? Well, we interview people, we screen them, and we test them. We try to determine what type of position they're best suited for. You don't analyze jobs, and you just analyze people. Is that right? You could say that. I, I already did say that. <laughs> now, uh, by sifting through all the facts about uh, Evelyn here, uh, I gather that you're the hobo. Is that right? Uh, That's right. Uh, let me hear you put a bite on me for a cup of coffee. Now, go uh, ahead. A uh, hobo don't put the bite on anybody for a cup of coffee. Uh, what do you mean? I've had, I've had them ask me for coffee. Well, that's a tramp. A tramp asks you for a <laughs> cup of coffee. A hobo goes out and gets it different. He gets uh, runs a butcher shop for meats and the bakery for toppings, and then he cooks it up. Bakery for what? Toppings. That's day old bread, stale stuff. Well, if you want stale stuff, just listen to me here. <laughs> How do you get it from the butcher? I mean, you walk in there and he throws you a hunk of meat? Huh? Well, you give him a song and dance. Just tell him, say, I'm trying to cook up something down in the jungles down here, and I like to have a little meat. It's a good idea to have something under your arm, like some potatoes, and say, look, Mac, I got a loaf of bread here. How about give me a little meat to go with it? They, they, it's a pushover. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try that tomorrow. Huh? <laughs> Tell me, Bill, as a knight of the road, how do you live? Huh? Oh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Like an actor, huh? <laughs> where, where, where do you live? Well, if I'm working in a city like Bellhop or Dishwasher, I rent a room. If I'm not working, I live in the jungle. Well, when you're camping in the, in the jungle, as you call it... Uh, what, what kind of meals uh, do you make? Make a mulligan stew. Uh, well, how do you make mulligan stew? Do you get them angry first? Or, uh... <laughs> well, first you've got to have a lot of meat, see? A lot of meat, eh? Yeah. Well, you're back in the butcher shop again, huh? <laughs> then 
you throw in a lot of vegetables, your own salt and pepper and everything you get, and you cook it in an open fire and can. Well, suppose you can't uh, get any meat. <laughs> I wouldn't be a mulligan still then. No? Well, what would you have then? Huh? I'd be slum gullion, I guess. <laughs> what do you drink with your slum gullion? Oh, battery acid. Battery acid? Yeah. Well, you should at least be able to start on a cold morning, huh? <laughs> Just what is battery acid? Well, that's fresh coffee. The first time it's, uh, you boil it off. After that, it's no longer battery acid. What, do you, you use it over again? Sure, then it, but it's not battery acid then. That's dishwater mud. Yeah. How many times do you cook it over? Oh, that all depends on conditions. Yeah. <laughs> if you got a lot of coffee, it's not necessary. Sometimes when things are tough, you got to boil it over a lot of times. In my house, it tastes like dishwater the first time. <laughs> How do you keep in touch with people when you're on the road? Where do you get your mail? Oh, mostly general delivery. You know. yeah, well, what kind of work do you do when you're working, Bill? Oh, any kind of work. I've been a sailor. I was a fireman. I worked on deck. I worked in copper mines. been bellhop. Worked in harvest fields. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you get from place to place? Uh, do you ride the rods? Oh, they haven't rode the rods in 25 years. Uh, I started first on the whole board in 1950, and I was 15 years old. Yeah, I ride boxcars, ride the reefer. What's, the, what's the, a reefer? The reefer's the end of a fruit car when it's not iced. And you ride the tender, ride the blinds on a passenger train, ride the deck. Pretty dangerous, isn't it? Oh, yes. <laughs> what kind of car do you prefer? I well, I prefer Pullman. But, well. <laughs> well, I mean, in lieu of a Pullman, huh? Well, that depends Let's on say there isn't a Pullman available, huh? That's well, been de-iced. Well, that depends on the weather. If it's in there... Uh, summertime, I like an open gondola where I can see Just and get the fresh air. <laughs> well, what do you like best about the life you lead? Uh... Well, I like to be free. I don't like to be tied down. I like to go places. I like to get up in the morning when I want to. I don't want some wife telling me to get up or sticking a cold feet in my back. And... <laughs> you you prefer a refrigerator car to a woman, is that <laughs> Well, this has been very interesting, and uh, having you here tonight, and uh, now you're going to try for a chance at the $1,500 question. You beat our other two couples, and you win a chance at all that money. I can't tell you how much our other couples won, but Fenneman's going to remind our listeners. The department store buyer and the married man are ahead with $180. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected Islands of the World as your category. Is that right? Now, you have $20. How much are you going to try? Fifteen. Fifteen dollars. What ocean do you find the Hawaiian Islands? Pacific. Pacific Ocean is right. Come on, Thirty-five dollars. Well, remember, you're going for fifteen hundred dollars tonight. Now, how much of the thirty-five will you try? Twenty-five. Twenty-five. In what ocean do you find Greenland? In North Atlantic. In the Atlantic is right. We now have sixty dollars, Rocho. Now you have sixty dollars. Here's your third question. How much of the sixty will you risk? Fifty. In what sea do you find the island of Corsica? Corsica? The Mediterranean. The Mediterranean is right. They're really climbing now. They have $110. Say, you must have done a lot of reading in those boxcars. <laughs> oh, 
I sailed in there during this war. Oh, I see. Well, here's your last chance to beat the other couples. Now you have $110. $100. In what ocean do you find the Isle of Tahiti? Uh, that's in the Pacific. In the Pacific is right. And they wind up with $210. And that means that they get the chance of the DeSoto Clinton $1,500 question. You know, you have a perfect right to be particular about the way your car is serviced. And that's why more and more car owners every day drive in to DeSoto Plymouth dealers. For that's where you get expert, courteous service at the lowest possible cost. You see, DeSoto Plymouth dealers are just as particular about your car as you are yourself. They have factory-trained mechanics working with factory-designed and approved tools and equipment. They see to it that the service they offer in their shops is the best service you can get anywhere. The more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers throughout America take pride in their reputation for fast, efficient, courteous service. Remember this next time your car needs service. And drive in at the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And here's the hobo and the job analyst, the winning couple... All ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question, Groucho. Well, uh, if you win this, you're really going to be able to ride in Pullman's. Uh... <laughs> Here we go for $1,500. Ready? I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on one single answer between you, so think carefully and please, no assistance from the audience. Here it is. In 1914, the United States Army finished its biggest peacetime job. What is the biggest peacetime job ever accomplished by the Army? What is the answer you two have decided upon? Panama, Panama Canal is right. Well, you had the right answer, so you won $1,500. What are you going to do with all that money? <laughs> Bill, what are you going to do with yours? Well, I... My heart starts, stops jumping. <laughs> well, Evelyn, you just said the secret word, and you just won $100 in cash, and now my heart is stopping. <laughs> Well, now, uh, Evelyn, what are you going to do with all that money? I don't know. You just dumbfounded, huh? Well, I'll help you spend it, Evelyn. And, Bill, what are you going to do with yours? Well, at first, I'm going to ride Well, a lot of slum gullion with that, huh? I'm going to ride that preferred berth you talked about. Well, you really cleaned up tonight. You won $210 in the quiz and $100 for the secret word and $1,500. All I can say to you both is congratulations. From the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast, you bet your life. You bet your life.
Life is a John Goodell production, transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You Bet Your Life, presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth, two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week, the big question will be worth $1,000. Fenneman, if you have nothing better to do this week, why don't you see our new movie, Love Happy? Hoppo, Chico, and I tell a few jokes and do some acting. It's very educational. Well, it's almost time for Bing Crosby, so good night, folks. And remember, just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Here's a tip from the National Safety Council. Traffic control begins at your wheel. This is George Fenneman, signing off with more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. Shopping and you won't deny You shop at Sears and you get a good buy You spend your money and you have no fears Cause you know it's a value when it comes from Sears And now, the Goldberg Molly Goldberg, with her usual persistence and sympathy Is trying to arrange the future of a little boy who's living in her house David was left on Molly's doorstep in a sense. A boy of six who speaks only French and says he's an American citizen. His mother disappeared, leaving a note saying that she was going to look for work in New York. So Molly, together with Dr. Cater, has arranged to advertise for a governess with a little boy on the slim chance that David's mother might answer for the job. Molly wants to unite mother and son and find Oriana a job in Lastonbury. But things have their own way of happening as we see today. Take your phone, Rosalind. I am, Paula. Hello? Yes? Who is it? Uh, one minute, please. Ma, New York is calling you. I'll take it. Uh, hello? Well, Mr. Goldberg is here. Give me. Hey, what, Mama, talk? Ma! New York is calling you. Why can't Mr. Goldberg talk, why? Hello. Well, won't Mr. Goldberg do? Jimmy. Um, he hung up. Hung up. Did you get the operator's number? He hung up, sir. Let me. Hello? Hello, operator. Just recently, a call came in for Mrs. Goldberg. What's that? Who in the office calling, please? Find out, please. What do you mean, no record of income call? You said that already. Say something else. Don't argue, Paul. Why should she be so mean to me? What's that? That's just too bad about you. Ah. Yes, ah. They have no record of income calls, the idea. Why not? You asked that question. I just got through it. Well, don't call back. How do you know? She said so. All right. All right. So, well, so, well, so, well, so, please. Why couldn't you come to the phone when it rang? 
because I was sponging David. How does he feel? He's a bit cooler and he's falling off to sleep. He thinks that you'll go to New York if David feels better. I don't see any point to you going to New York. Only that Dr. Cater suggested it. That's no reason. I, I'm not ready to go anyway. There was the discussion, but nevertheless. So maybe Sammy could go or I could go. A school tomorrow Saturday. Do, do, do you remember what David's mother looked like? I'll never forget her face. Her hair was light and, and her eyes were dark brown. That was the first thing I noticed. She was pretty. That's all I can remember. Dr. Cater thinks maybe she, she would use a different name and... And if she came in answer to the advertisement for, for, for the governor, uh, he, he couldn't even know it was her name. Well, that's why somebody should go. And maybe she would change one name, but not both names? She has such a pretty name. Beautiful name. Mm-hmm. Beautiful name. But was it her name? Or Orion. Orion. Or Orion Leland. Leland. Mm-hmm. Well, that's for me. Molly. Molly, if you don't relax your nerves, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is Dr. Christopher Cater's office calling. Yes, this is Mrs. Goldberg. Well, Dr. Cater asked me to call you. Oh, thank you very much. I'll talk to the doctor. Well, he's not in. Yes? He wants to know how the little boy David is feeling and whether you're coming up to New York. Well, 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 the child, I'm very happy he's to say. I'm very glad to report to him that the child is feeling better. Uh, but, uh, but about my coming to New York, I'll have to let him know that. Well, I'll deliver you a message. Oh. Yes, we are. Oh, well, I'm glad. But nobody in the name of Orient yet? No, not yet, but they're still coming. Oh, thank you very much. Goodbye. Dr. Christopher Taylor's office. The doctor's not in. Who's calling? Yes, I'm expecting him. Thank you. Sit over here, please. The doctor will hear you. Thank you. Excuse me. Hello? Dr. Christopher Taylor's office. The doctor's not in yet. Oh, yes, Dr. Taylor. He's at the general hospital if you want him, yes. Thank you. Is this a permanent or a temporary position? Well, I couldn't say. I don't know. Yes? I've come and answered the address of your visit. Here. Come in, please. Now, you sit right over here. Thank you. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Dr. Taylor's office. Excuse me. No, he's not. Yes, thank you. I'm glad there are not too many, just the both of us. There'll be more. Perhaps not. The advertisement was too special. I don't think there would be many. My child is a girl about six, and the ad said a boy. But I thought I'd try. Oh, but you don't think to see Madame Sibyl? Oui, Comment peut-il? Eh bien, il faut toujours essayer, n'est-ce pas? Oui. Il est funny. Dr. Speak your native tongue. 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 Speak your native tongue for pay. Well, if the family is nice, it's not so bad. Now, this a doctor, he seems very important. Maybe his own child. Of course. 
Once I thought I'd have a governess for my little girl. Well, so it goes. The old people make the errors, and the young suffer. Yes. Vous êtes une Française, madame? No, madame, this is American par mariage. I'm American to my husband. He's dead. Oh, say, please, pray, please. Je perds mon mari ici. C'est affreux. Si je n'obtiens pas cette place, je suis perdue. Without this job, I'm lost. How much do you intend to earn? Enough to eat. To have my boys, that's all. I need this position very badly. I haven't worked for so long, it's not easy to find. Well, you have to be better dressed than you are to get a job like this. We seem to be rich people. Yes. My shoes are so shabby. And my gloves. But what can I do? It's going to fail. The advertisement seemed to fit me so well. When you need a job, all the ads seem to fit. But the jobs are never for you. One tries. But you have to look very smart for a job like this. People like a smart governor. It gives the house a, a tone. If I only had some money, I could get myself the clothes. But to get the clothes, one needs the money, and for the money, one needs the job. Why don't you do what a friend of mine did? She first took a job as a domestic. Those jobs are easy to get. You go to an employment agency, and if you're French, one, two, three, you have a job. Mm -hmm. And then, when you get your first month's salary, you buy what you need. And then you come back for a job like this. Oh, are you sure I could get a domestic position? I like this. More jobs than people for them. You go to the Acme Agency on West 11th Street. You'll have a job, I'm sure. Would you mind giving me your name, please? I'm Oriane. What was that? Oh, excuse me. Hello? Oh, Dr. Taylor. Yes. Yes, she did. No, she let you know if you can come. Oh, that must be the doctor calling. All right. Well, the boy's getting better. The child is ill. Yes. Yes. All right, doctor. Very well, I will. I'm very sorry. Dr. Kitty just called and said for you to come back tomorrow at the same time. Now, may I have your name, Miss Annette Renoir. Thank you. And you? I... I think I made a mistake. My qualifications do not fit this job. Well, if you can't meet them, I don't think you have to bother to come back. I know. I'm sorry. It's all right. Goodbye. The Johnson Wax Program. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, Incident 257, written by Don Quinn, with the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with There's a Great Day Coming Manana. What is the most inexpensive way to make your home more beautiful? It's by the regular use of genuine Johnson's Wax on your floors, furniture, and woodwork. Every application of this world-famous wax polish adds mellow, rich beauty. 
And every application also adds greater protection and makes house cleaning easier. In fact, I don't know of any product that you can buy that offers more advantages. Floors that are wax-protected with genuine Johnson's wax take on a soft, satiny luster and gleam that sets off all your furnishings. The hard film of Johnson's wax protects floors against scuffing feet and scraping heels. Dust is whisked away in a jiffy. And there are 100 extra uses for Johnson's wax. For windowsills, lampshades, picture frames, furniture, leather goods. It's just good housekeeping to have a can of Johnson's paste or liquid wax always on hand. Fibber doesn't feel very well. What's the best thing to do when you don't feel very well? Go to a doctor. So, here in the doctor's office, where our hero is being examined for this and that and sinus, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. Now, 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 now just a minute, Doc. Before you start this examination, what's this going to cost me? Now, take off your shirt. Heavenly days, that's cheap enough. <laughs> No, 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 no. I want the shirt off so I can examine him properly. Oh. As for my fee, Mr. McGee, well, it depends on circumstances. My circumstances or yours? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come, 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 come. Off with the shirt. Okay, bud. Uh-huh. Well, that's it. Now then, uh, what have been your symptoms? Well, I could have told you then with my shirt on. <laughs> now, yes. don't be so impudent, dearie. Uh, He's been having headaches, Doctor. Where? Oh, now, look, Doc, where do you usually have headaches? In your... McGee! Uh, sit down, McGee. Okay. That's it. Oh, Miss Gribble, bring me Mr. McGee's history. I've got one of his old geographies at home, too, Doctor, if you need that. No, no, thank you. Uh, now, McGee, according to your history, I... Hey, the... Doc, come over to my house right away. My wife broke her leg. I'll be over as soon as I can, Flanagan. What was she doing when she broke her leg? Skiing. Skiing? <laughs> But there's been no snow since last winter. That's when she broke it. Hurry up, will you, Doc? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> now, let's see. According to your history, McGee, you've had insomnia for years. I have? Yes. Any bad habits? Yes. I don't sleep good. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, I know. Uh, do you drink heavily, McGee? No, I don't, Doc, but Molly's Uncle Dennis is an oh, awful... Oh, oh, so... oh, hold it there. Never you mind about me, Uncle Dennis. <clears throat> you smoke heavily, McGee? Oh, I don't know, Doc. I never smoke more than three or four cigarettes a day. Well, that's moderate. And 25 cigars. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. McGee, I want you to cut out tobacco entirely for one week and go on a bland diet. Uh, go on a what? A bland diet. Heavenly days, and I don't think we have a bland in the house. Now, wait a minute, Doc. I've smoked all my life. You can't expect... Those are my orders. No smoking for one week. Then come and see me again. You better come to see me, Doc. I'll be too weak to go out. Don't be silly, McGee. I've been telling you for years to cut down on your smoking. Is that all, Doctor? Uh, For now, yes, Mrs. McGee. And McGee, Uh? drink four full glasses of water right now. You'll find a water cooler in the reception room. Uh, hurry up. Well, what's the idea? McGee, Why don't... go on. Oh, 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 oh. What's 
the idea of making him drink four glasses of water, Doctor. Uh, so I could talk to you privately a minute. Oh. Now, look. It's going to be a great strain on his willpower to quit smoking abruptly. You can get guts and borglum to carve that in a mountain, too. <laughs> McGee will never do it, Doctor. He'll have to. And you can help. How? Now, here. You take this little bottle of medicine. When he begins to weaken, put about three drops into his coffee. Yeah. It won't hurt him, but it makes tobacco taste simply terrible. Do you understand? Certainly. Would it cure him quicker if I dumped the whole bottle in at once? Oh, no, 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 no. Goodness, no, no. Now, remember, just three drops. Yeah, three drops of what? Well, the doctor was just going to say that three drops of prevention was worth six pounds of cure. Huh. How do you know he was going to say that? He, he hadn't got to it yet. I read lips. Oh. <laughs> well, I'll certainly give your treatment a whirl, Doc. And much obliged. Think nothing of it. Oh, I do. Just about. <laughs> dear, you'll never be able to do it, dearie. You can't quit smoking. Who says I can't? Here, take these cigars and hide them. All right, I will. And hide them someplace where I can't possibly find them. Say, in the bottom drawer of your dressing table. That's a good place. Come on, hurry, dearie. The elevator's waiting. Okay. Call your floors, please. Well, hello there, Mr. Oldtimer. I didn't recognize you. Didn't, eh? <laughs> And the minute young Johnny here didn't say anything to me about life having its ups and downs, I didn't recognize him either. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, old-timer. Yeah, but that ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> the way I heard it, one feller says to tell a feller, Say, says, I see where they're agitating for a prohibition in the areas where there's army encampments. That's so, says t'other feller. Well, there's one thing you better let the boys have. What's that, says the first feller. Draft beer. Come on, McGee. <laughs> oh, darn you, daughter, you little point killer. Main <laughs> floor all out. <laughs>
golly, I shouldn't bust off smoking so abrupt as this like this here. I, I, I ought to quit gradual. Now, think what this is liable to do to my metabolism. Uh, metabolism. Huh? And if the doctor says that you... Hey, where are you going, McGee? To the drugstore. I, I got to make a phone call. I'll, I'll be right out. All right. Hurry up. Yes, sir? Uh, quick, sis. Uh, give me a cigar. Uh, make it an El Ropo Panatella. Yes, sir. Here you are. Thank you. We're having a sale on these El Ropos today, sir. A box of 50 for $1.95. Oh, boy. I'll take them. Oh, no. Here, send me a box. Yeah, send it to Fibber McGee and, and care of the Elks Club. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Who did you have to call, McGee? Well, the Elks are putting on a show next Thursday, Molly, and I, I ordered a box. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> And what's that in your hand behind your back? Huh? Oh, for goodness sake. A cigar. <laughs> hand it over. Oh, now, Molly, I ain't going to smoke it. Honest. I'm just keeping it to tempt myself. I know you, McGee. You can resist anything but temptation. Look, Molly. Ain't it more to my credit if I have a good cigar in my hand and don't smoke it than if I didn't have a good cigar in my hand and didn't smoke it? Well, yes, I guess it is. I got even a better idea. I bet you I could light it and take one drag onto it and throw it away. Huh? <laughs> I guess that'll prove I got willpower. Why, shucks, I got even more willpower than that. I can take five drags onto it and throw it away. <laughs> yes, or even ten. Why, I could smoke it clear down to the best part and toss it into the gutter without even a backward look. You got a match? <laughs> Oh, look, McGee, here comes Mrs. Uppington. Oh, oh, that old overage battleship. Why didn't they trade her in for a naval base? Battleship is right. That hat of hers would make a lovely crow's nest. If that isn't the silliest look... Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? So nice to see you. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee? Hi, Uppie. I, I missed you the other evening when I gave my room my exhibition at the country club. Oh, really, you missed a very delightful evening. Well, I'm sorry, Yuppie. We had to see a man about a horse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Gene Autry at the Bijou Theater. <laughs> but how did the rumba exhibition go, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, marvelously, my dear, marvelously. I was in splendid form. Yeah, I know you were, Uppie. A musician friend of mine was there. <laughs> Old Charlie Rimshaw. <laughs> He says after seeing you rumba, he was going to take it up himself. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, is he going to take it up with me? No, with the Cuban government. <laughs> well, I, I do not consider that very amusing, Mrs. McGee. But then I should know better than to discuss anything aesthetic with persons of such bourgeois mentality. What's, uh, what's bourgeois mentality? That's highbrow for lowbrow. <laughs> Tell me, Uppy, in this rumba dancing, you make up the steps as you go along? Well, now, that's odd uh, that you should ask me that, Mr. McGee. Yes? Uh, William, uh, uh, Mr. Mills, you know. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he asked me the same question. Uh-huh. Uh, Smokey, he said, do you add lib the ankle stuff? Why, of course not, Lammy Pie, I said. <laughs> There's a definite routine to follow. Why did you ask? And he said, well, babe, it always looks so hip as to me. <laughs> <laughs> It 
Mrs. Uppington. There's one share of Mayflower stock that never paid a dividend. <laughs> what you sniffing at? Oh, boy. Did you get a whiff of that cigar that just went past? Oh, was that delicious. Oh, are you really that hungry for a cigar? Am you? I? Molly, I'd like to get caught in an avalanche of stogies and have to smoke my way out. As the gal says when she split her riding britches at the horse show, this is a heck of a way to bust an old habit. Well, calm yourself, dearie. You'll get over well, it. Well, hello there, folks. Say, what's the matter, Fibber? What are you looking so disgusted about? Oh, hi, hello. He's been smoking too much, Mr. Wilcox, and the doctor's made him quit cigars for a week. Well, the doctor's probably right. People smoke a lot more than they used to. They say it's because of the fast pace, the rush and bustle of modern living, but I think it's a lot of bunk. Why? Said he, innocently, knowing very well he was giving Mr. Wilcox an opening he could drive a truck through, loaded with Johnson's Loco. <laughs> well, look, take housewives, for instance. Yeah. They have hours and hours more leisure than they had in the old days of floor scrubbing. Will you amplify that statement, Mr. Wilcox, for the benefit of our listeners and in the interest of our better relationship with the sponsors? <laughs> why, why, gladly, Molly. You see, instead of the old-fashioned back-breaking mop-and-pail days, we now have Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. The floor polish that does everything but ball out the ice man for tracking in mud. And what's a little mud to glow coat? <laughs> well, it's your story, bud. You tell it. <laughs> Well, well, look, spots and dust can be wiped up in a jiffy from a glow-coated floor. And when you think that all you have to do to apply it is just pour a little out on the floor, spread it around, and wait 20 minutes or so, linoleum with no rub, would a mere man get in such a nervous uproar? Uh, I don't know why he should, but I'm certainly in one. Up to my neck. I'm dying for a smoke. I know, I know. I quit smoking for a week once. And when I went back to it, I went in for Egyptian cigarettes. Oh. Because I'd aged about 2,000 years. <laughs> Well, let it get you down. So long, Molly. Goodbye, Mr. Wilcox. Egyptian cigarettes. And he promised his mummy he'd never smoke. Oh. All that. He's only been on a couple of weeks. Don't you get it, Molly? I said... Ain't funny, McGee. I'm nervous. I... Well, let's stop someplace for a cup of coffee. i got to get something to calm my nerves. Well, let's go home where I can make you a good cup of coffee. Then we can sit Hello down. Hello there. Good morning, my dear. Hello, Mr. Boomer. And good day to you, Rattletrap. <laughs> what are you looking so dismal about? Now, don't twit me, Boomer. I feel kind of edgy today, and I'm liable to be a little cutting. <laughs> He's had to give up cigars, Mr. Boomer. Doctor's orders, you know. Oh, yes. Pernicious habit, cigar smoking. Never use the weed myself. Ah, don't give me that malarkey about you not smoking, Boomer. You always got a cigar in your puss. Certainly, Half Dome, certainly. <laughs> but mine are a special brand. The nicotine content has been chemically removed. <laughs> a child could smoke them. In fact, my little nephew, aged three and a half, smoked five of them yesterday. Oh, my. Yes, yes. They turned him a rich purple like a meerschaum pie. <laughs> Very pretty effect, if I do say it myself. Can I try one sassafras? Have it right here with me. Okay, Boomer, give me one of your painless panatellas. Willingly, willingly. Have it, uh, have it right here. Now, where did I put that sterilized stogie? Let's see now. Uh, here's a camel's hair paintbrush. Wonderful thing. Can go seven days without watercolor. 
Here's a better mouse trap my brother invented. Did the world beat a path up to his door? Yes, and then beat up my brother. <laughs> Poor Don. Ah, uh, what's this? Oh, yes, postcard from Sheila the shoplifter. Unfortunate girl. Got caught with a hot piano when the stool turned and squealed on her. <laughs> Here's a dozen assorted wallets given to me by a pickpocket pal. Oh, it's always fair leather when good felons get together. <laughs> Here's a false beard with a bit of egg on it for realism. <laughs> a check for a short beard. <laughs> well, well, that's that. No cigar. Sorry, sad puss. I'll have to try and pick one up for you someplace. <laughs> King's Men singing The Breeze and I. the doctor said. Three drops in each cup of coffee. That's it. One, two, three. And one for luck. There. Hey, Molly, where are you? What you doing? I'm out in the kitchen, dearie, making you a nice cup of coffee. Here you are. Drink this and you'll never miss your horrid old cigar. Oh, can't I have a cigar instead, Molly? Please. Gee whiz, I, I'm really suffering. Well, open the wind and get some fresh air. It's awfully hot in here. Oh, it ain't the heat. It's the humidor. <laughs> Oh, don't be such a baby. Drink your coffee. Okay. Oh! Hey, what is this? Jabber or lather? <laughs> now, that tastes awful. Why, of course it does, mm. dearie. That's because you got all that nicotine in your system. Uh, Where are you going? I'm going upstairs to lie down. I, I don't feel good. And Molly. Yeah? If you should smell smoke up there, it'll be incense. 
I'm in a kind of an oriental mood. You know, fatalistic. If I smell smoke up there, I'll smell a rat. If you try to smoke a cigar behind my back, well, I wonder who that could be. Well, it's got to be either Gildersleeve or the little girl, unless they rung in a new character on it. Come in. Oh, there, Mrs. McGee. Hello, McGee. Hey, I just won $20 on the Cincinnati Red. <laughs> so I thought maybe... That uh... ratted Gildersleeve, quit waving that cigar in my face. Keep your filthy habits to yourself. <laughs> now, McGee, is that any way to talk to nice Mr. Gildersleeve? Well, no, I guess it ain't. But it'll be better when I get going good. <laughs> now, look here, Throckmorton. If you think you can come into my house and poison the air with them cheap stogies of yours... Smelling up our new drapery. Now, look here, McGee. Excuse me, Mr. Gildersleeve. You'll have to make allowances for McGee today. He's a little on edge because he's quit cigars. Oh, quit cigars, eh? <laughs> yeah, I see. Well, I'll never give up cigars as long as I live. Ah, uh, but think of your health, Mr. Gildersleeve. What's the matter with my health? I'm as strong as an ox. Yeah, and just as dumb. What? <laughs> You may think you're as dumb as an ox, Gildersleeve, but how's your wind? <laughs> Could you protect your wife from the insults of some street corner bully? Could you? Well, I. Has your hair been getting a little thin lately? Well, come to think of it, my hair. You notice that you pant a little when you lean over to tie your shoes in the morning? McGee, now that you speak of it, I. Uh... Uh, when you walk into a dark movie theater, do you keep seeing Don Amici's in front of your eyes? <laughs> By George, Mrs. McGee, I believe... Think it over, Gildersleeve. Don't you think you owe it to your loved ones? Who told you about her? Who? <laughs> you mean my wife, huh? <laughs> I'm serious, Gildersleeve. Remember, your health is the most valuable thing you have. Ain't you man enough to give up a trifling habit like cigars to preserve the precious heritage of health? Oh, my goodness. Where's an ashtray, Mrs. McGee? I want to put this cigar out. Right here, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yeah. There. <laughs> that ain't enough, Gildersleeve. Yeah. You can't do it by putting out one cigar. You've got to make a clean break. You've got to say to yourself... What do you call yourself when you talk to yourself? Uh, Gil. <laughs> Gil? You really call yourself that? <laughs> you got to say to yourself, Gil, from today on, I'm going to be a man. Why should I be a slave to nic 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 nicotine? Out with the insidious cigarette. Out with the character sap and cigar. I'm turning over a new leaf. That's what you got to say to yourself, Gildersleeve, my boy. McGee, you've made me see things in a new light. Open the window, will you, Mrs. McGee? Certainly, Mr. Gildersleeve. If you intend to jump out, Gildersleeve, don't forget this is the ground floor. But there's a window up in the attic that you... I'm can... not jumping out! I'm tossing these cigars away. There they go. Never let it be said that a mere piece of vegetation ever licked Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. I feel better already, McGee. I don't know how to thank you for this. Gildersleeve, 
My reward is in seeing your footsteps planted on the golden trail of health and happiness. Now go, and may you never relapse into your old evil ways. You're a good man, McGee. <laughs> Good night, Gil. Good night, Fib. Good night. <laughs> McGee, that was a dirty trick. <laughs> well, I'm in a dirty mood. Here I am dying for a smoke, and that big foghorn comes in and waves a 50-cent Colorado Clara right under my nose. I had to convert him in self-defense. <laughs> Another week of this, and I'll be walking down the street throwing rocks at little children and kicking the heads off the tulips. There won't be any tulips, not till next spring. Well, I'll wait. I can hold a grudge. Don't be such a sour puss, dearie. Don't forget the old saying that I just made up. People in paring knives that lose their temper are pretty dull to have around. People in paring? Yeah, Oh, that's it. for the love of me. Here, have some hot coffee. Well, okay. Thanks, Molly. Oh! Oh, boy! Oh, that's awful! Oh! Oh, boy, I can't even enjoy a cup of coffee. Uh-huh. So you're convinced now? Yes, I'm convinced. You're absolutely right, Molly. I'm through. I'm through for good. From this day on, I'm swearing off. I knew you could give up tobacco if you really tried. Tobacco? I'm giving up coffee. Bring me a cigar and a glass of milk. Fibber and Molly will be back in just a moment. Do you like to do a little painting or decorating now and then? Do you have a breakfast set or a bookcase that you've been itching to brighten up with new colors? Then listen carefully while I tell you about Johnson's newest product, a brand new kind of enamel that actually has wax mixed right in it. It's called Johnson's Wax Enamel, and it's different from any enamel you've ever tried before. Because of its wax content, wax enamel dries with a beautiful soft luster, satiny smooth, that lovely finish that only wax can give. And that isn't the whole story either. A wax enamel finish is harder to mar or scratch and much easier to clean. You brush wax enamel... Like any ordinary enamel, a little goes a long way, and one coat nearly always covers. Look over the wide assortment of stunning wax enamel colors now at your hardware, paint, or department store. You're sure to like the extra beauty that wax enamel gives. Oh, McGee. Psst. Huh? What's the matter, Molly? Call the police. I heard a noise under our window. Oh, that's okay. That's just Gildersleeve. Looking for them cigars he threw out. <laughs> Why don't you be nice and go help him look? It's no use, Molly. They ain't there. You mean you... Yes. Oh. Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, reminding you that when you buy any one of the Johnson Wax products, you get your full money's worth in satisfaction. Be sure to ask your dealer for Johnson's self-polishing glow coat for your linoleum, Johnson's Wax for your floors, furniture, and woodwork, and Johnson's Car New for your car. All these superior products are manufactured by S.C. Johnson & Son, Incorporated, Racine, Wisconsin. 
Well, we hope you'll all be with us again next Tuesday night, same time, same station. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And now here's Blue Coal's heating expert, John Barclay. Thank you, Ken Roberts, and good afternoon, friends. One investment every homeowner can make, which will pay big returns in comfort and convenience, is to install a blue coal heat regulator. I've heard some people say what time and trouble savers their oil and gas burners are. But those people forget that their oil and gas burners are dependent upon thermostat control for their heating performance and for maintaining an even degree of temperature. By simply installing a blue coal heat regulator for your coal furnace, you too can control room temperatures and enjoy exactly the same kind of heating comfort that the most expensive oil or gas burner could give you. The blue coal heat regulator is a thermostat which controls your furnace dampers automatically. All you need do is set the thermostat control at the exact temperature you wish. Your heat regulator will maintain that temperature day and night. What's more, it will stop your house from becoming overheated in warmer weather and save you from wasting coal. Get in touch with your nearest blue coal dealer. He'll be glad to show you how a blue coal heat regulator can pay for itself in the time, trouble, and amount of coal it saves you. I thank you. play okay by George and Ira Gershwin was a great hit on Broadway. And you first heard Gertrude Lawrence sing this wonderful ballad. There's a somebody I'm wanting to see. I hope to be and thought to be someone who walks over me. I'm a little man who's lost in a wood. I know I could always be good to one who walks over me, although he may. 
Remember the phonograph girl, Aline Stanley, singing her biggest hit? When the red, red, brown, and far, 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 we don't want to go. There'll be no more time when he starts falling in It was 1926 when that red, red robin went bobbing along. It was 1926 when Marion Talley made her debut at 19 in the Metropolitan Opera House. When the hobo college at Chicago had its first graduation and 150 hobos went out into the world. Remember when you read those items in the papers? And remember when you read of the marriage of Irving Berlin to Ellen Mackey? That was the same year. And you thought of it when you heard the lovely Irving Berlin song that came out that year. Because I love you, I tried so hard, but can forget, because I love you. when the famous musical Queen High opened on Broadway and you first started singing its lilting hit tune. Cross your heart and hope to die that you'll be true and so will I forever and forever and the day. Cross your heart and hope to die but I'm the apple of your eye And never will you ever get away 
back to Gordon McRae, Lucille Norman, and the second half of the Summer Show Train's trip back to 1926. 1926, the year that you lived yesterday. You learned to dance the black bottom and you were playing contact bridge. And talking about Gertrude Edderly swimming the channel. And of a young wampus star out in Hollywood who looks as though she might be headed someplace. Named Joan Crawford. Baby, baby, Prefer Blondes was a hit on Broadway, and you began to refer to your boyfriend as your butter and egg man. You heard Paul Whiteson play his wonderful arrangements of one of the year's greatest ballads, a song that will live as long as we have music. popularity, one of the great matinee idols of all time. And then, on August 23rd, the newspapers hit the street. X3, X3, Valentino dies, read all about it, X3, Valentino dead. No one who was in New York City at the time of Valentino's death will ever forget his funeral. 30,000 people stormed the funeral parlor. Over 100 were injured. A legend was gone, and now only the memory of that legend would remain. Pizza, 
Back in 1926, Beatrice Lilly appeared in a new musical called Oh Please. And from a score by Vincent Humans comes a song that's been one of your favorites for a good many years. I know that you know that I'll go where you go. I choose you, won't lose you. I wish you knew how much I long to hold you in my arms. This time is my time to soon be goodbye. One more little kiss, say ninety-nine. I know that you know that I'll go where you go. I choose you, won't lose you. I wish you knew how much I long to hold you in my arms. This time is my time to soon be goodbye. Time and in the starlight, hold me tight. You found a lot of things to talk about as you read the papers back in those days. Dear, did you read about that man who died of a heart attack? He picked up a pinochle hand and saw that he had eight aces. Lucy, I read that for myself. And what do you know? Sinclair Lewis has turned down the Pulitzer Prize for Aerosmith, and he isn't going to accept it. Oh, for the love of Mike. It says here that Italy has passed a law saying that if a man's a bachelor, he's got to be taxed. That ain't human. Twenty-four years back into time and memory. Gilda Gray's year. President Coolidge's year. A visit to the White House for Helen Keller. Those events are all a good many memories ago. But in case you've forgotten, let us remind you that that was also the year that you saw for the first time one of the greatest operettas of them all. Remember?
thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. In just a moment, I'll tell you what we have in store for you next week. The Railroad Hour is written by Gene Holloway and brought to you each week at this time by the American Railroad. These railroads are ordering tens of thousands of additional freight cars. They're speeding up their program of car repair and rebuilding. They are seeking the utmost efficiency in the use of cars. And in all their efforts, they are receiving the invaluable cooperation of shippers and receivers of freight. As their part in increasing rail transportation capacity, shippers are loading cars as heavily as commercial requirements permit. And they are loading and and unloading cars promptly. In many cases, operating their shipping rooms and unloading platforms on a six-day week instead of a five-day week. Cooperative shippers, moreover, are unloading cars completely, taking out all bracing and blocking in order that cars do not have to lose time by being sent to the railroad's cleaning track. Yes, shippers and railroads are working together. That's the way they've licked big jobs before, and that's the way they will lick them again. back in 1935, and next week the summer show train is going to take you on a trip to that year to relive some of its most interesting happenings and hear many of its greatest songs, songs like Begin the Begin, Lullaby of Broadway, and These Foolish Things. So folks, be sure to join us again next Monday and ride with us aboard the summer show train back to 1935. All aboard! Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out, so until next week... Goodbye. Tonight's performance of the Railroad Hour was transcribed in Hollywood. Gordon McRae will soon be seen starring in the Warner Brothers Technicolor musical, T for Two. And now for Lucille Norman, Carmen Dragon and the orchestra, Norman Luboff Choir, and our star, Gordon McRae, this is Marvin Miller with a hearty invitation from the American Railroad. Join us again next week and ride the summer show train back to the year 1935. And now stay tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC. listening. We hope you'll return next week for the old-time radio daytime shows. Be sure to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Mm-hmm.